Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, gang? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, a game day edition. Jets back at home, taking on the Buffalo Sabres tonight. Sabres have play, been playing very nice hockey as of late, winners of four straight. Puck drops at 7 p.m. We'll be all over it. We'll hear from Rick Bonus in just a couple minutes on uh, the lineup tonight and a few other topics in and around the Winnipeg Jets. And we'll get the latest on the visitors with our old pal Joe Yerdon in Buffalo. Joe's going to jump on with us in about uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. And then Murat Atesh with his latest on the Winnipeg Jets. And we'll talk about a very interesting article he's got up at The Athletic pertaining to the trade deadline and potential trade targets and where the Winnipeg Jets would be best suited to focus on any potential additions at the trade deadline for a big playoff push. Uh, a little bit later on, Eric Swar from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League is going to pop on for a couple minutes and tell us about this Manitoba Junior Saskatchewan Junior League Hockey Showcase. It'll be taking place in Winnipeg next week on Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, we're getting to the finals of the first Grand Slam of the year. We'll also chop it up with our pal John Horn for a few minutes in the final half hour of the program. Welcome everyone watching on YouTube. Make sure to hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. And give today's episode a thumbs up. Helps us spread the word about Winnipeg Sports Talk. And a big shout out to everyone listening to the show on audio via the podcast on their way home from work tonight. Thanks for making us a part of your day. If you haven't already, make sure to check us out on YouTube and subscribe to the channel so you can get all the video content as well. Just before we bring in Michael Rivas, a huge thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day, including Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Canadian Club, Culligan Water, Vita Health Fresh Market, Wallace & Wallace, Consolidated Supply, F Apparel, Manitoba Battery, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Royal Sports, and we will get to a uh, why not question of the day a little later on as well with our friends at Not Auto Corp. Remo, what's going on? Feeling good. I'm ready for the Jets to get back in the win column tonight. Home cooking. You know how good they've been at home against the Sabres. And I guess we're kind of counting down until they all start break. Three more games. Uh, we, got, we got tonight, uh, this weekend against Flyers, then Monday against the Blues, uh, who haven't been playing so great lately. So let's go against... Uh, Buffalo, and we're going to have a couple of six-foot-seven monsters uh, on the ice here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll, uh, we'll get into Bones in just a minute and talk more about this game. I, I'm, I'm very enamored with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I think that they are just so much fun to watch. If you spent any time watching their games today, they're usually going over. They don't do a very good job of keeping the puck out of their net, but, man, can they score. And Tage Thompson has turned into a legit NHL superstar right now. So we'll find out a little bit more from uh, the visitors' side of things with Joe Yurden in a few minutes, and we'll hear from Rick Bonus. Just before we get into tonight's action, Reem, uh, interesting night last night in the NHL. Um, Hurricanes did the Jets a bit of a favor, beating the Dallas Stars in overtime. And the Blue Jackets ended the Oilers' streak at six games in a row with a 3-2 win in overtime last night. But... If you were, if you stayed up late enough, you got a chance to see game two of the Rick Tockett era in Vancouver, which included a 6-1 pasting at the hands of the Seattle Kraken. The Canucks being humiliated in the third period as the Kraken 
fans chanted Bruce, there it is, for most of the third period as they thumped their rivals. And then I think we got a chance to see a little bit more about what Rick Tockett's going to be like as the head coach of the squad. And let's just say he didn't react well to his first loss behind the bench in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, what a weird game. I love this Vancouver-Seattle rivalry. They're two hours apart, so a lot of Vancouver fans in there getting the Bruce, there it is, chant going during the game. I don't know if that's ever happened, chanting for the visiting team's former coach that was just fired. Um, crazy. And then so what? They get absolutely pumped. Uh, Seattle skates circles around Vancouver. And yes, Rick Tockett left pretty much speechless after the game hust. And this uh, was his comment. Uh, I mean, this Vancouver, what's going on with their team? Very Game two. Game very... two of the Tockett era. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't like to say the anxiety, but it, it, you just, I don't, I don't know what to say. I really don't. It's one of those, you know, uh, uh, he then continued to go on. Uh, to did, oh, could you not hear that one, Hess? Uh, I, I could hear it, but we didn't get to the point where he was talking about how soft the Vancouver Canucks oh, were. I don't have the soft club. I just have the one of him saying, I, I don't know what, I don't, he, didn't know what to say about the game, but he did call yeah. them soft. Yeah. 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 Which um, I can't remember a coach in the National Hockey League calling his team soft in a long, long time. Never mind a guy doing it after game two and the first loss he's ever taken on the home bench. I was talking with Dusty earlier today on the lock shop about this. And as miserable as I'm sure it is in Chicago and in Columbus. And in Arizona with some of these teams that are bottoming out for Connor Bedard, I don't think there's any question that the most miserable place in hockey right now is in the dressing room in Vancouver, BC. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to follow what they do at the deadline as we're on Bo Horvat watch. Uh, and we did actually have a transaction from them today. They signed Andre Kuzmenko, who we thought maybe they could trade and get some assets for to uh Two-year, five-and-a-half-million AAV contract. So um, he's ha having a nice season. Uh, got a good shot. And they are keep signing guys. I'm not sure, like, why, but, <laughs> hey, they, they like him. So they have all these wingers here. They signed Mikheyev in the offseason. Or Mikheyev. Interesting. Just very interesting what's happening there. Yeah. Listen, the Kuzmenko signing, I mean, I guess they wanted to make sure they got him done and – you know, that didn't lose him because, I mean, he has been a nice piece on a terrible hockey club this year. But it is somewhat funny that he ended up getting a two-year deal, Remo, which by my calculation should put them, and again, it's not a rebuild, it's just a reload. And I guess he's a key part of the reloading under Rick Tockett, so they got him done for two years. Yeah, I don't know why he would do only a two-year. Maybe he thinks the cap's going to go up, you can get more after two, so... Again, we're we're very fast. I'm very fascinated, at least, what's happening uh, there. Jerseys tossed on the ice, cheering for the former coach. Uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, the uh, <laughs> what a mess. What a mess. And uh, if anyone was wondering whether the Canucks are soft, Rick Tockett told you directly from his mouth last night that, yes, in fact, they are. Um, it, it is a busy night in the National Hockey League this evening, as it often is on a Thursday Highlighted by the Jets and Sabres, which we'll be spending most of our time talking about. But uh, one other game, Remo, that if I wasn't going to the game tonight, I think I would be locked in on 
and that is Boston and Tampa. The Bruins, 38-5-4 and four on the season. Lightning, 30-15-1, and one, and the Lightning, 18-4-1 and one at home. And a lot of talk online about this game, certainly from the Tampa side, of how badly they want this game. And it also featured a face-to-face apology from Jack Edwards to Pat Maroon for fat-shaming him earlier this season on a Bruins broadcast that got quite a bit of media attention. Yeah, I remember that earlier this year. He made some comment about Pat Maroon's weight, and Maroon made it into a positive. Uh, um, you know, uh, Earlier this month, he uh, announced like a big charitable donation in Jack Edwards' honor, and here's <laughs> Eric Erlinson on our YouTube. Sorry, podcast listeners. Bending down uh, with a fate with uh, apology to Pat Maroon, and according to Eric Erlinson of Lightning Insider on Twitter, who took this picture, he wouldn't give details, but he said, it's not exactly going well for Edwards, and then added, as this was a private conversation, even in a public setting, it's not my place to share exactly what was said unless either party wishes to reveal. But I will say, it's evident, Maroon is still displeased with the situation. so Yeah, and, and folks, this picture, Jack is in a full crouch, backcatcher's stance, trying to make eye contact with Pat Maroon <laughs> as he keeps his head down and deals with either putting on or taking off of his skates. And it is, the, the picture tells a thousand words. It is about as frosty as it could be. I'm just wondering whether Patrick Maroon was as warm to Jack Edwards as Rory McIlroy was on the driving range in Dubai <laughs> when Patrick Reed inexplicably thought that he'd go say what's up and try and shake his hand after hitting him with a subpoena in a lawsuit on Christmas Eve earlier this year. Rory didn't even look his way, and it seems like Patrick Maroon from this picture might be taking a page out of Rory's book with his reaction to Jack's apology attempt. Yeah, and I don't blame him. He doesn't need to take that. I mean, he's a professional athlete don't you don't body shame pro athlete uh, so we learned that over the summer with uh was it guerrero or no was it uh, sorry kirk it was, it was alejandro kirk we alejandro exactly our guy yeah. um edwards tony valeri in chat edwards is a clown um edwards is Maybe the most uh, over-the-top announcer in the National Hockey League. And listen, I'm all for, I mean, I love home team announcers. They get really fired up for their home team. I mean, Paul Edmonds on the radio here is a perfect example of that. But I mean, that is for those home broadcasts. I mean, the the no one is more over-the-top than Jack Edwards, though. And he does get carried away. And he said something really stupid about Patrick Maroon. He said a number of stupid things over the course of his career. I guess to Bruins fans, maybe it's somewhat in, uh, endearing. To everyone else in the National Hockey League that are watching these uh, broadcasts, not so much. Uh, Anyways, sets up a really, really big game tonight elsewhere in the National Hockey League. But uh, our focus, of course, tonight is the Winnipeg Jets. Jets and Sabres going at it. And, um, you know, Buffalo's had some really had that nice start. They had a seven-game losing streak afterwards. But, Reem, they have really picked it up. And while, as I mentioned, they got a real tough time keeping the puck out of their net. Uh, often that's not a problem because of just how many goals they're scoring themselves, led by Tage Thompson, who has 33 on the season in only 47 games. Yeah, Buffalo, they're on a bit of a heater coming in. You look at their numbers, their goals four per game, I mean, you know, 3.81 among best in the league, and the goals against also very high. Their power play was like top six, is number six in the league, 25.8%. 
their penalty kill, bottom five in the league, 73.8%. So it's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of goals here. I mean, you look at their, I got their scorers, has uh, Tage Thompson. I mean, he's, if you picked him in fantasy, you probably got him late and you might be in the top of your league. Um, Alex Tuck has been great since the Jack Eichel trade. Um, and who's Jeff Skinner, we were calling him a bust for a long time as a, you know, this high price signing. And he's really um, come on this year. And look at the defenses, Rasmus Dahlin's breakout season. Uh, Owen Power, former, you know, number one overall pick. He's, just, you know, getting on the score sheet, scored his first of the year a couple of games ago. Watch out for Buffalo, man. Uh, I think they're a good team, and we saw already saw them. Was it a week ago? It feels like longer than that. But uh, and we gave... remember how great Connor Hellebuck mm-hmm. had to be for the Jets to win that game. That was a game that yeah. frankly they probably didn't deserve to win, and they did based on the brilliant bounce back performance of Connor after a tough one in Detroit uh, the game before. Just to put into perspective on how successful the the Buffalo Sabers have been in scoring goals this year. They have 180 goals on the season, one behind the Boston Bruins. They're number two in the league, as you mentioned. I mean, 3.81 goals per game. I mean, no one's been scoring more per game outside of Boston than Buffalo. What is a very interesting comparison, though, Remo, that while Boston scored 181 and Buffalo scored 180, Boston's given up 98, and the Sabres have given up 160. A 62-goal difference between the two hockey clubs. So uh, more often than not, if you're looking at the cool bet odds, take the over when the Buffalo Sabres are involved in a game. And very interesting, speaking of the over, the guy charged with keeping the puck out of the net for the Buffalo Sabres, a very familiar face, Eric Comrie gets the start. Fire up the revenge game narratives, Remo, because Comrie's back in for his only his second start since he was injured earlier this year in November. Yeah, he started earlier in January, and he got off to a hot start, and we were all saying, oh, Eric Comrie, the Jets should have kept him. But you look at these numbers, 3.67 goals against, 883 save percentage. Um, they're not great, but they're putting him in here. They've gone with uh, Anderson and Uka Pekka Lukanen, who uh, has been you know decent as well. But they're going with, they're going to have a video tribute, I'm sure, for Comrie Huss after uh, he was here last season. He's 12 games, 4-8 and eight record. Um, and didn't you tell me that he already, he's already played here once as a visitor when he was with Detroit, and it did yeah, not go he well. Yeah, came in. He came, he came in with the Red Wings, and they were terrible that season. That was part of his magical mystery tour, I think, around the league, where he was getting picked up on waivers every few weeks and then bouncing around. Um, yeah, he uh, he got lit up that game, um, and well, he'll get another chance to do it against his uh, his old squad. It is interesting. I mean, you've got these numbers up right now: twelve games. For Eric Comrie, a four and eight record, a three point six seven goals against average, and an eight eighty three save percentage, and you compare that to Big Save Dave, who's played the same amount of games, twelve games so far, has the opposite record, eight and four, has more than a goal better against per game at two point six two and a nine oh eight save percentage. Um, funny that the. Uh, the chat doesn't have as much issue with losing Comrie and uh, the play of Big Save Dave now as uh, opposed to maybe what happened earlier on in the season when Comrie was winning those games out on the West. Really, he had that great week, and that's been it for Eric Comrie as a Buffalo Sabre so far this year. Yeah, Rich, I think he's been solid when called upon. He had a rough first game, which we've talked about, but he's been good, and 
he's making less money than Eric Comrie and for the Jets who are you know saving up all this cap space for, to make a big swing here at the deadline so we think um you know the difference of what is it like 800,000 is would that be the difference I mean that's that's a player right there at least an entry level player so um we'll have you know seems like the Jets have whoever they pick backup we're like who who's this guy Brosois? uh Comrie, really? Riddich? And uh, they seem to be able to, you know, make it work no matter who it is. So credit to the Jets uh, scouting and coaching staff on that one. Yeah, well, Wade Flaherty, I think, really deserves a ton of credit. And we heard Connor Hellebuck talking about flats and how impactful he's been to uh, Connor Hellebuck. It's quite clear that he's done a great job with the backups as well. And um, certainly... David Riddich, been uh, money well spent by the Jets so far this year. We're going to hear from uh, Bones in just a second. Did see a couple people in the chat wondering what was up with the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. Uh, give you a quick update on that right now. Asham Black Group, Caitlin Laws, 3-0. and uh, Suzanne Peterson, second at 2-1. and The other group has uh, the McLeod Rink at 2-0. and Jen Jones at 2-0. and Ackland at 2-0, and uh, they're on the ice right now in the afternoon draw. And uh, Jen Jones up 3-1 after four ends. We've got uh, the McLeod rink uh, actually trailing right now, uh, going up against Ackland in a uh, battle of unbeatens right now. I have a feeling, certainly the odds would tell you, the Pedersen rink is good, but be pretty neat to see Laws and Jen Jones battle for the Manitoba title a little later on. That will wrap up coming up on the weekend. All right, let's get to Bones, uh, who's got a little bit of an injury well, update and uh, spoke earlier today on a number of topics heading into to this game tonight. Um, he did give an update that David Gustafson still dealing with the upper body injury, needs a few days off, and Mason Appleton likely back after the all-star break but um why don't we get right to it and here's the we'll start it off with uh rick bonus giving a little bit of an update on uh, injured players for the winnipeg jets what's the latest with david gustafson uh upper body injury uh he will need another few days off he had an mri yesterday and he just needs probably another three to four days off Okay, and Mason Appleton looks like he's getting closer. He's getting closer. It's a matter of getting that. I would doubt if he'll play before. I wouldn't rule it out at this point. I talked to him today about getting him out of that red jersey. Um, So, but I would say after the All-Star break is the best bet without ruling out the possibility of Saturday or Monday. All right, so there's uh, Bones on Gus. No surprise that Ken went right to the Gus bus today when uh, talking about what's going on around the team with Bones. I had a good laugh. Yeah, they go for the big press conference. Usually the first question is like, all right, well, how about the opponent? But Ken on the mic is like, all right, Gustafson, I'm driving the Gus bus. What's up with him? Let's hear. And it sounds like Appleton after the uh, after the break here. And just looking at the lines, no changes. That's why we haven't really gone to them. But uh, Logan Stanley, he's staying in with Nate Schmidt, Bonner Dubois, Perfetti, Ehlers, Shafley, Wheeler, Baron Lowry, Kuhlman, uh, Axel, Steny. And Minalainen, Morrissey DeMello, Dylan Pionk, Stanley Schmidt, which I said, and Hellebuck in net. So no changes from last game for the Jets, but it seems like some guys will be you know, close to injury, uh, back from injury soon, like Appleton and, and Gus. It'll be interesting to see Stan in uh, his second game after uh, getting back into the lineup after a long, long time out on the injury reserve uh, in the last game. Um, but let's hear what Bones has to say about the Sabres because this team is no joke. They can score with the best of them, as we just laid out. 
and they've won four games in a row coming into tonight's puck drop at Canada Life Centre. Here's Bones on Buffalo. Well, you know, listen, they're, they've won four in a row. They're three points behind Washington with three games in hand. So there's going to be a big push here. And we saw the game a couple of weeks ago in Buffalo, how skilled they are and how fast they are. And they, they outplayed us in Buffalo. So regardless what we the road trip or not, we better make sure that we're playing Winnipeg Jet Hockey right off the bat, off the get-go, because this team can score and they're dangerous. They're hard to play against. So uh, we put all those things aside we, we talked to the group this morning uh, we brought them in a little earlier than normal to try to get their attention and uh, now it's on us to go out there and be ready to play against them then play the right way against them because if you don't they burn you interesting little tidbit from bonus there on bringing the team in a little bit earlier today to get their attention um I'd said yesterday, Remo, that these next three games are going to be a real challenge for the Winnipeg Jets. There's a great opportunity to take advantage of teams below the playoff line, continue to stack up points heading into the break. Obviously, they didn't like the way the last game ended, um, but they are going to need to be ready. And we've all heard, I mean, years and years of data tells us that sometimes there's a little bit of a lull when a team comes back home off of a road trip. Uh, the Jets are going to need to avoid that tonight against a Buffalo team that will make you pay if you make mistakes. And they did plenty of those in Buffalo, but were bailed out by Hellebuck the last time these teams met. Yeah, Ken asking uh, how the, you know what are they going to do about the everyone know everyone knows when you come back from a road trip, first game is a bit of a that he said they're bringing brought him in early, try to get the legs flowing and see if they can have a good start tonight and you know play a bit better than they did last time against Buffalo. And yeah, Hellebuck he's starting, uh, he's been. Very, very good. So uh, it's going to be a tough task, Hus says. We're going to hear more from Joe shortly, just how strong Buffalo has been uh, when it comes to scoring goals. So I'm looking forward to seeing the Jets back on home ice. Back, I'm, you know, the crowd's attendance, I think, has seen a bit of an uptick here. People start to realize, hey, this team is actually in first place or battling for first place. Well, and you know what? If you've missed out on the game so far this year, the home games have been great. The team's been winning consistently. And um, listen, we know where they are in the standings right now. This should be a fun one tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, one other great bonus of being at Jet Games right now is you get a chance to see Nikolai Ehlers do his thing after being out for so long, coming out really just since game two of the regular season. Uh, Bones expanded a little bit on what he's seen from Nikolai Ehlers since returning to the Jets lineup. Uh, you know, again, he's he's still getting back into the rhythm of how we do things here, and I'm still getting used to him. Um, but listen, that that's elite speed. What he has, that goal in Philadelphia that they scored, the third goal there was it's perfect illustration of it. He goes down that wing and he gets a step on the D. Just keep going and and get behind the net and bring everyone back to the net. It opens up that second wave all the time. So it's his elite speed and his ability to make plays at high speed a lot of guys have to slow down they're fast but they have to make a decision they have to their hands don't work quite as fast as the legs his hands and brain work as fast as the legs so um, he's he's going to keep getting better I don't think he's I still think there's more there to his game than what we're seeing and, and we're pleased with what we've seen but we're going to keep pushing him here to get to get more out of him well, they've certainly been getting lots out of them so far. And if there's another level for Nikolai Ehlers, that's good news for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, as we mentioned, Logan Stanley's back in the lineup tonight. Um, got in in Nashville, made an impact right away. Big hit, dropped the gloves. 
He's back in tonight, and uh, Bones expanded on uh, getting Logan back in and getting him another chance in the lineup this evening. You saw that first shift, his physical presence. We're going on a road, we're going into a tough building, and he steps up and, and makes a big, clean, legal hit. And there, So that's a, a very strong message to both teams that, we're hey, we're here to play. Uh, he gives us that size back there and that physicality that we need. And uh, Sandberg does as well. Like, there's going to be constant rotation here because neither one of them deserve to sit out now. <clears throat> um, but uh, we, I just love his size, physicality. He has a presence out there um, and you're, you're against a team like Buffalo with some of those big forwards we're going to need that physical play and that physical size and what he brings to the table all right so the first chance for fans at home to see big stand back in the lineup uh, for a long time and uh, Dylan Sandberg and Kyle Capobianco will be in the press box tonight as of now um Let's hear from Bones on the top six. There's been some line shuffling. We've talked about Schwielers together and then Perfetti along with Dubois and Connor. Uh, Bones was asked on what he's seen from the top six since uh, shuffling up those lines. Uh, I think it's worked fine. The, uh, the, the both lines are creating offense, um, the, so it's it, it. And I know that, and obviously I wasn't here last year when Cole played right wing with 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 Doobie and Casey. But that should give us two good scoring lines. It really should. And Adams' line has been the f- extremely well done, really well all year. The fourth line got us, a, you know, big goals in in Philly. So you need contributions from the bottom end as well. And you know, we've talked enough about our. Defense, but it's also nice to have two checking lines or two scoring lines when you go on the road. So what I've noticed is uh, I'm just watching the other coaches and their matchups now because we have those two lines that can score. So it's made uh, it's it's made. It's made it interesting in terms of going into other rinks. And, and the other thing is with, um, with icings, it's a, we iced the puck the other night and they score a goal. When, when they ice the puck on us now, uh, Mike's on the right side for a face-off or Doobie's on the left side for a face-off. It gives us more offensive opportunities. All right, some interesting stuff from Bones on his top six heading into tonight's game against the Buffalo Sabres. As I mentioned... I'm going to talk more about the visitors with our pal Joe Yurden in just a second. Uh, just before we do that, i got to remind you folks that uh, unfortunately this beautiful run of weather is coming to an end and it is getting cold on the weekend and into next week. Is your car and is your battery ready for it? Well, it better be. And if it's not, you need to be giving Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery a holler and make sure that you are set. If you're wondering whether your battery, where your battery is at as far as life goes, pop by 1026 Logan Avenue. They'll give you a quick battery test and let you know what's up. And if you need one, you'll be able to get a battery right there at Manitoba Battery at the best price in town while shopping local. If you know that you need a new battery, if the car won't start or you expect it to, get ahead of it, give them a call or hit them up online at manitobabattery.com. If you get your order in by 3 p.m., you'll have that battery delivered to you same day. Nowhere in town will save you time and save you money like Manitoba Battery does, a great local company, 1026 Logan Avenue. And again, you can give them a phone call or order online and check out everything they've got at manitobabattery.com. Huge shout out to our friends at Consolidated Supply who are looking ahead to 2023 and the end of the uh, end of the snow era for uh, for the winter. 
because, uh, you know, they'll be busy on the golf courses as the club car dealer and the irrigation leaders in the industry. But it's not just for golf courses, for your property as well. Irrigation options and artificial turf options. Maybe you're thinking about that dream putting green in the backyard. Spicy Joe and the guys can help you with that. They've also got a great selection of hot tubs, outdoor kitchens, and more. Find out. Everything Consolidated Supply has waiting for you. 1395 Niaqua Road East. Or, of course, you can also check them out online at their newly revamped website at cte.ca. Don't forget, folks, January coming to an end soon. Still waiting for a couple more nominees for the Unsung Hero program with Wallace and Wallace and Josh Morrissey of the Jets. Send us an email to unsunghero at winnipegsportstalk.com about the person in your community that's making a difference in the lives of others, selflessly donating their time, whether it be within minor sports, whether it be in charitable, uh, you know, with a particular charity or a number of charities, or maybe just that person in the neighborhood helping out those in need quietly without any credit. The unsung hero for January is going to receive an autographed jersey from Jets all-star defenseman Josh Morrissey. Wallace and Wallace will be making a $500 donation in the name of the WST listener who nominated our winner to the Dream Factory. And Josh and Margot Morrissey are going to match it as well. So win, win, win for everyone. Make sure to get those in to Unsung Hero at WinnipegSportsTalk.com. And before we bring in Joe... I know Joe, like many of us, have been battling a cold and sore throat. Well, it's never been easier to take care of that than with Colflex Oregano Spray. Made locally by Inatech Nutrition, Colflex Oregano Spray helps relieve coughs and sore throats and helps to maintain immune function. You can get yours today at any Vita Health location, along with great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And obviously, Winnipeg's best selection of local products, too. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. All right, let's go to Buffalo right now and welcome in the noted jerk himself, the Maintenance Day podcast, Bleach Report contributor, Joe Yerdon. Joe, what's up, man? Great to have you back on the show. I'm doing good, Huss. You know, aside from that whole, you know, cold stuff that's it's fine yeah no doing great here it's uh it's a whole different season here in buffalo these days it's uh boy what was the last time we talked man it was things were drastically different last time well they certainly were and, and we got a good taste of just how good and dangerous the buffalo sabers can be what was it, a couple of weeks ago when the jets were in buffalo and really escaped with a win on the back of connor hellebuck just before i ask you about the sabers I have to ask you about the mood around in Buffalo. I guess everyone's all in on the hockey team right now because um, pretty disappointing end to the season for the Bills. And I don't know. I mean, just what's it been like being around Buffalo the last few days? Um, you know, with everything. I mean, the emotional ups and downs of that team and that fan base over the last month. Yeah, it's uh, the mood is definitely a little bit dimmer uh, around town. Uh, a lot of the Bills mafia are still kind of licking their wounds about how the game went down and uh, how things played out. Cause uh, I know, I know, I know, I know everybody was kind of getting caught look ahead of fan wise, not certain, not player wise, but fan wise was getting caught looking ahead playing in, in Atlanta against Kansas city, or maybe even at home against Jacksonville. But, uh, but they got caught looking past the Bengals and boy, oh boy, the Bengals came out and just whooped their tail. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a disappointing end for the bills for sure. But they, uh, 
I don't know. Things get a lot more interesting for them next season because Josh Allen's big contract extension kicks in and the salary cap situation doesn't look so good. So, but they were a 14 and three team. So I, I got a funny feeling they're going to be hanging around again next season, but it's, uh, but the, the difficulty level gets stepped up a little bit uh, next year. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, listen, I, I, I think a lot of people have a soft spot for the bills and their fan base. Um, listen, I'm a Chiefs fan. I was looking forward to maybe going to Atlanta this weekend to see that game. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I just had to think, and I'm sure, you know, we'll hear more about it afterwards, the emotional toll that the DeMar Hamlin um, uh, situation episode took on them. Obviously, it ended up as good as anyone could have imagined, considering how tragic that was at that time. But I really did think that took a major toll on Buffalo. And it'll take yeah. a few months to get this team back and ready. That being said... Moving on from football season, maybe a few more eyes on the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the visitors tonight here in Winnipeg playing some pretty good hockey lately. Winners of four in a row. Uh, you cover this team on a daily basis. I mean, I pay quite close attention to them. I find them so much fun to watch. Had that great start. Lost seven in a row. And all oh, here we go. Same old uh, Sabres. Um, they stopped the bleeding. And, uh, Man, they're fun and holy smokes, can they score goals, Joe? Uh, what do you make of this team coming up to uh, tonight's game in the peg? You know, it's uh, the amount of alpha offensive output that they can that they can do is is something else. It's it's such an it's such a flip of the switch from from how <laughs> things were the past oh, I don't know seven eight years. It's not to say that the offense was was terrible with you know with Eichel and Reinhardt and and you know even Darlene and his rookie year were bad, but this is a whole different level. I mean, they've got what four four guys with twenty goals now. It's that's impressive. You know, that's even with on on top of things with Tage Thompson, you know, scoring at the rate that he is, and you know, even now with teams doubling him up every time he's got the puck, well, he's piling up the assists now. So. You know, he's making it so that teams can't really, you know, decide like, well, that guy's not going to score. Ha ha. Everybody else is going to have to score on us. Well, everybody else is scoring. Everybody else is scoring. So uh, it's it's impressive. It's really impressive what they've done. And Don Granato deserves a lot of credit for that, because from the day he was hired, he, he made it a point to say, we're going to we're, we're going to be an entertaining team. You know, he's like, I don't want to play that that bogged down defensive dull style of hockey. He's like, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. And. You know, man, they've got the they got the guys to really run it out there now, and that's even without a couple of the young guys really, you know, still getting a feel for the game with you know with Quinn and Paterka and even Krebs to a degree. But geez, man, they they just pile up the goals, and now Victor Olofsson's getting hot again, and it's you know Skinner's just jumped over twenty. You know, Tuck's been great. Man, it's it's wild to have all these guys to talk about us. It's 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 unbelievable. You know what? It's such a fun story, and I think it's long overdue. We were waiting for Buffalo to finally kind of get back to being competitive, and they are. And, man, the future's bright with all these young players. Rewin was mentioning Jeff Skinner, and, I mean, we talked about Skinner and that contract a couple of years ago as maybe the worst in the league and stealing money. Um, how rejuvenated has he been by the arrival of Alex Tuck? And I think you could probably say not just for Skinner, but Tuck rejuvenating that entire team with the spirit he brings and the emergence of Tage Thompson as a legit NHL superstar. Yeah, Tuck is, it, it's amazing what, what a difference a guy can make with, you know, with just, you know, with his line, with a couple of players, and just the room in general. I mean, Alex, Alex is probably one of the more fun-loving, easygoing, just, you know, you know, full of personality guys in the room. Everybody loves this guy. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's funny to talk to. He's, you know, he's just very chill about everything. I mean, it, 
seen this guy get tackled a few times in games and there's no call. And I'm like, I go up to him after the game. I go, man, if I was in your shoes, I'd have been, I probably would have got teed up for, for a 10 minute because I'd have been screaming. He's, he's like, he's like, no man, you gotta be polite to these guys. And I'm like, you got the patience of a saint, my dude, because you, you're getting, you're getting tied up all over the ice. But, uh, but with what he does for that line, I, I mean, Buffalo is a team that's, that's always enjoyed having a power forward type of player. I mean, you go back, He's even go back to the 90s, even a guy like Vakla Verata, who, you know, wasn't a big scorer, but he played that kind of, you know, physical push, you know, push the, well, not really push the pace, but like he was a physical power forward type of player. Tuck is like that, except he's bigger. He's got a lot, a lot of offensive talent. His shot is very deceptive. Uh, like it's, it, it comes, it kind of comes out of nowhere because he's so, he's, it, it kind of reminds me of like a Mariano Rivera fastball where you see him move and you're like, oh, it's really smooth. That's not coming. In. Oh, geez, that's 98 miles an hour. Okay. All right. Well, we better get ready for that then. Uh, but by that time, it's the pucks already passed the goalie and they're celebrating. But, uh, but he, his, his brand of game is something else. And uh, the way that the, the, their styles of play play off of each other with Skinner, Thompson, and Tuck. I mean, Thompson's got the hands. He's got all that skill. Skinner's got the, uh, uh, the penchant for being a bit of a pain in the butt to uh, to opponents, and he just he, he finds ways to get to loose pucks, and also has a ton of skill. Also drives everybody crazy, and then Tuck just drives the net. He's physical. I mean, it's it's like one of those perfect like old uh, EA NHL lines where you put together and the chemistry is a hundred immediately. And that's what that's how those guys work. You know, uh, the other thing about Tuck, and, and I find this interesting being a Winnipeg guy. I mean, we've talked for a long time about how it would be great to have a local guy on the club and to have them really come back and almost be a champion for playing in Winnipeg. And, you know, I think there's some comparisons you can make to Buffalo. I mean, it's not the biggest market. It's not the sexiest market. And they'd had a long run of losing. And when Alex Tuck was traded to Buffalo as part of the Jack Eichel trade from a real contender in Vegas, you could, I mean, you would understand if he was less than overwhelmed with going to his new place. It was the exact opposite. He talked about how it was a dream of his to play for the Buffalo Sabres and how he absolutely embraced the challenge of being a core player in this rebuild. And um, I'll be honest, I was envious hearing him talk about his market in the city like that. And I, I imagine that that's been really influential within the organization as well, not to mention the way he's connected with the fans. Yeah, it's that was he was a player the that Kevin Adams and the group really uh, identified with immediately uh, to pick out for for that trade. Now, mind you, that's a trade that you go into thinking you're probably going to lose that deal, giving up the giving away the best player in the in the in the whole thing. But I mean, Tuck was a guy that I think the second the rumors popped up, he was the guy where everybody's like, okay, it's going to be Tuck and who else? as part of this deal because he was the guy that made sense. Uh, you know, he was the guy that was kind of stuck in Vegas playing third line roles. And it was like, he's better than a third line player, but who is he going to unseat there? Is he unseating stone? No. Is he jumping in on the, uh, the, you know, the Riley Carlson, uh, Mar Marcia so line and taking one of their spots? No. So he was kind of in a spot where he, he needed a place to kind of flourish and grow. And Buffalo was the place. Just the fact that he is a fan of the Sabres growing up right outside Syracuse, and, you know, the 0506 team was was the team that really, you know, imprinted on him. Love that team. And, you know, Miller and Palmonville and Vanek and all those guys. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, he's a Bills fan on top of it. Like, it's the whole nine yards with him where it, you couldn't have asked for a, a more perfect player to be in a trade and to have him be an outstanding player, too. Because, I mean, there's there's been Buffalo area guys on this team before. 
you know, I think back to Pat Coletta, but like Pat Coletta wasn't a big scorer. Pat Coletta was a, you know, was a crap stirrer and a, you know, physical presence. But, uh, but with Tuck, it's just, you know, he's capable of leading the, you know, leading the offense. If you know, Skinner and Thompson aren't going, if Tuck gets it going, then those other guys are going to pick it up right next to him. So, you know, you talk about a fairy, a fairy tale ending. Well, it's not even an ending. It's a beginning. It's a fairy tale beginning for him in Buffalo, because this is, this is really taken off. And to have him be the guy that's sort of the focus of, of that, because he takes heat off of Skinner and Thompson when it comes to dealing with, you know, us knuckleheads in the media, you know, he'll, he'll gladly talk to us, you know, whenever we got a question for him. Yeah, no, he, uh, he has done an amazing job of setting the example. And I think really changing the tone around the Buffalo Sabres and, Man, the production speaks for itself on one of the top lines in hockey. Uh, Joe Yurden's with us getting ready for Jets-Sabres tonight. One of the other players in that trade, of course, is very familiar face here in Winnipeg as he was Mr. Winnipeg Ice when the team moved here from Kootenay, and that's Peyton Krebs. I mean, he doesn't have big numbers right now, but, man, when I watch Buffalo, he seems to be everywhere right now. I mean, tell us a little bit about the season that Peyton's having right now and how he's fitting into what the Sabres are doing. It's funny the uh, the uh, the fan view of him was you know because you you've got the kid line you know the kid line because they really are of cousins Paterka and Quinn where cousins is the old man at I think 22, 21, <laughs> 22 on that line it's ridiculous and Krebs is the guy that's, that was kind of like on the outside of it so you know if one of those guys wasn't going they're like I put Krebs there it'll work fine and they tried that and it didn't really work exactly the way they thought it was going to be and they thought Krebs you know putting him at the wing was going to work but. He's a center through and through and putting him with Gergensen's and Opozo, again, the fans were like, you got to be kidding me. Like this guy's, this guy's supposed to score goals. He's supposed to do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and people were like, he's not going to get any minutes. I'm like, guys, that's, that, that's the line that gets the second most important minutes on the team. <laughs> so you put it, you're putting Krebs on a line with, with guys that are put in, in the difficult situations where they need to stop. They need a boost of energy. And he's just feeding off of that. He's, he's just, he's loving life playing with those guys. And it gives him a boost because, I mean, a couple of times already we've seen him get in fights. And he's not a guy I would have picked out ever to be getting in fights with anybody. But uh, he kind of saved their neck against Anaheim because the fight he picked with Ryan Strom ended up stopping a two-on-one for the Ducks going the other way. So, <laughs> I mean, this guy's got a, got a little bit of a sense of timing and, for, and flair for the dramatic. But, uh, but I mean, the offense is starting to show up a little bit. He's, he's getting less afraid to shoot the puck. Uh, and it's helping out Gergensen's and Opozo because you know what those guys are going to do. They're going to hammer you on the forecheck. They're going to hammer you physically. But Krebs is right there to kind of keep him moving and keep that puck going around. He's He's been really good. And I it, you know, listen, I, I know you might look at it and say, ah, oh, geez, he's just a fourth-line player. Uh-uh, man. He's, he's playing some really important minutes in really important situations for him. He's been very good. You know, uh, uh, you know, when you look at the uh, at Buffalo this year, I mean, the other thing that kind of really stands out is their – pair of number one overall picks um, playing big minutes right now. And Rasmus Dahlin, I think, has maybe gotten to that level that the Sabres had hoped he would when they selected him. And uh, Owen Power finally got on the board and got another one. Um, they're very different players, but both very important. Um, um, for folks that haven't seen them, tell us about uh, Dahlin and Power, those two twin towers on the blue line. Well, when it comes to Darlene, uh, anything that you guys may have seen of him in previous seasons where you're like, oh, man, the offensive game's really good, but, well, he can't play defense worth a lick. Uh, not the case now. He is he is an all-round outstanding player. Uh, I would not be surprised if he's a top-five Norris guy this season. Uh, like I think you're more, right. 
Uh, he and Morrissey, uh, like Morrissey's kind of come out of nowhere with the offensive game, but uh, I think I think that's caught up with his defensive play because he was always really good defensively. But but now with Dalene, it's almost the opposite where the offense was always there. You're just kind of waiting for the defense to show up. Well, the defense is there, and now he's playing really physical. Plays kind of like a creep out there sometimes too because he's stirring it up and you know being a menace sometimes in those scrums. He knows how to pick his moments too. Uh, and you know, and his competitive nature, he's finally letting that flourish because you'd see it in practices where, you know, a drill doesn't go their way or, you know, they, they do like a mini game and they lose and like he's smashing a stick against the glass and he's looking really ticked off. But, but now he's letting that fly into his game where he's not going to let guys beat him because X, Y, Z, he's just, he's just not, he's not going to let guys blow his doors off and get behind him. He's just not allowing any of that to happen. And he's doing, he's playing the, like the perfect game almost every night. He's he's an unbelievable competitor and incredible offensive threat, obviously, which is now it's even better. And with power, powers so much of what power does is it flies under the radar. He's he's like a fancy stats dream guy because you know the, the raw numbers aren't there. Like the goals, I mean the points are you know the assists are there a little bit. The goals weren't really there, but everything else that he does is almost spot on perfect. And he's such a smart player. And he's able to do a lot of these little things that just maybe go unnoticed, but you go back and watch the tape later. You're like, wow, how did that guy know how to make that? You know, how does he make that play? He's 20 years old, but yeah, he's 20 years old and he's making some, some very high end decisions, high end plays. And you know, the offense is coming now because all he needed was that little, that little boost of confidence to pop one in. And now suddenly he's going to be feeling a little bit more offensively. So now other teams, when they play against the Sabres, they're going to have to keep an eye on Darlene, obviously, but now that power's got a taste for it, he's going to start becoming a little bit more aggressive on the offensive side of things too. So that means you got to spend 50 minutes of the game looking for a defenseman flying into the rush and scoring on you. It's just—it's a nightmare to defend. You know, Joe, at the beginning of the show, Remo and I were just going over some of the numbers of the Sabres season so far. And you know, we talked about how they're scoring as much as anyone in the National Hockey League. They have 180. Only the Boston Bruins have more at 181. And then you look at the Bruins have allowed 98 and the Sabres have given up 160. Um, what is going on in the net? Has anyone been able to make a save? And um, tell us a little bit about Eric Comrie's return to the net tonight uh, against his old club this evening. Well, the uh, the goaltending to start the year was tough. Uh, it, was, it was definitely tough. And a lot of that had to do with injuries on defense uh, in the early part of the season. Uh, you know, they lost Matias Samuelson for, for a spell. And boy, you want to look for a, for a secret reason why they, why they do so well at Samuelson. When he's out of the lineup, take a look at their record when he's hurt. It's abysmal. And he's, he's the guy that kind of unlocks Darlene to play the offensive kind of game that pushes the pace. He's also able to lock it down on defense. Now, you know, they still give up goals. They're still giving up about two to three a game now. But back, you know, the first month of the season, it was pretty routine to see, you know, whether it was Comrie or, you know, Anderson played pretty well, but he was still, you know, still giving up a few goals here and there. Uh, but when Comrie went out, Uko Pekalukinen got the call and it was tough for him to start too. Let's not get it. Let's not get it mixed up. He, you know, the first three, four, five starts for him were pretty rough. Uh, but he's found, he's found some kind of confidence now where uh, he stopped thinking while he's playing goal. And now he's reacting to situations and he's saved their neck. He's, he's, you could say he's probably won them about five games just by himself. 
uh, by keep by holding it down and keeping the other team off the board for the most part, at least with fewer goals than they scored anyhow. Uh, but you know, game I'm talking games against Colorado, games against Vegas. Uh, bought you know they beat the Bruins in Boston like it's it's a lot of different games where you're like whoa how did they do that and you look and Lukanen's the guy stopping like you know 20 shots in the third period to take them to a win he's been outstanding he's been so good that now that Comrie's healthy they're carrying three goalies steadily now now you know schedule's been pretty bananas for him eight of four games four games a week for three straight weeks is pretty tough but uh, but for Comrie it's it's kept him out of the net. Uh, because they got to keep Anderson going regularly because he's older and you don't want to get him off pace and you know get him you know have him out of out of action for too long. But uh, but for Comrie, like he was supposed to start the game here in Buffalo against Winnipeg, but you know things got a little bit haywire. You know Lukanen got sick, uh, they had to change things up. Uh, but for Comrie, it, he's going to be pumped up for this game. And when he's been in there and they've had the full replete of defense of defensemen behind him. He's looked great. Uh, the games he played in Edmonton and I think in Calgary as well, he was unbelievably good. So uh, I, I'm I'm hoping to see him kind of take a leap here and and have a big game and and kind of win some of that confidence back from the fans. The team has plenty of confidence in him. They love him, but it's just really tough when you got three goalies. And one of those guys is the guy that's helped you win a lot of really big games. Yeah, I, there's no doubt about it. And Conry is the easiest guy to cheer for I think I've ever met him and you've dealt with him I mean he's just so much fun to talk to he's great uh he just has a vibe about him that you know makes you put a smile on the face but it's a production business and the results haven't been there after that great start to the season that he had um be interesting to see how things go tonight uh Joe just before we go I mean we're looking at this standings in the playoff race right now and this team is three points back of the Washington Capitals with three games in hand. Um, how realistic that we could be talking about the Buffalo Sabres not only playing meaningful games at the end of March and in early April, but maybe breaking this drought and getting back into the postseason. I, you know, I, it, it's it's hard for a lot of us who have been here for years <laughs> to to really just say. Yeah, they're gonna do it because we've we've been there, we've been down this road before. There's there's a few seasons where, you know, they're in a spot, and I'll I'll keep going back. I think it was 16, 17, where they were, you know, after you know, going into their bye week, I think they were two points out of the playoff spot, and they had get road games at Arizona and Colorado, two they were two horrible teams that season. I think it was Colorado's 48 point season. And they go on the road coming out of the bye, and they lost both of those games, and then it was game over. Like they were toast the rest of the way. Now do I see that same sort of, you know, uh, mental collapse kind of thing happening with this team? No, I do not. This is a team that has, you know, no recollection of any of that stuff. I mean, only Kyle Pozo and Zemgus Girgensons do, and they use it as motivation, if anything else. But uh, for the rest of this crew, like, this is all new to them. This is very, this is very new to them, and they're, they love it. They love this kind of setup. They don't get nervous about it. They've had so many games this season where they get behind and it's just no big deal. They fight back. They get back into these games and either steal one or two points out of them. So this kind of race for them, I don't know. It, it's a bigger, it's a much bigger stage. It's a much bigger profile. It's a lot more people watching when it's a playoff race. But right now, they're going to hang around. They're going to hang around. If they don't do it, they're going to be right there knocking on the door, uh, which I think is puts them a little bit further ahead than I think a lot of us thought, myself included. I thought they were going to be they were going to do a lot better this year than they were last year. Hard to be worse. Uh, well, I mean, it's easy to be worse. There's always an easy way to be worse when it comes to Sabres. But like, 
you, you think they're gonna you think they're gonna be better, but they're not gonna be not you know a playoff threat. This is a little different. I think they're about a year ahead of where I think everybody thought they were gonna be. And who knows? You team full of young guys, man. You don't know how they're gonna treat it and if they run with it because the, the youth is unfettered. You you let them go and they 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 run sometimes, man. Well, they're running right now, four in a row coming into this game, and I'm sure they probably feel like they owe the Jets one considering what happened in uh, Buffalo a couple weeks back. Can't wait for the game tonight. It should be a lot of fun. Joe, great to catch up again. Um, Folks, give him a follow on Twitter, at Joe Yurden. Links to his work at the Bleacher Report and the Maintenance Day podcast for more on the Sabres in the NHL. Joe, be well, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Huss. Good to see you always. As always. Great. There's our buddy Joe Yurden. Man, this is going to be a fun one tonight. Murata Tesh is going to join us in just a couple of moments uh, for his thoughts on a great piece that he's got up in the athletic right now. The Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup contender checklist. What are they missing? We'll dive into that with uh, Murat in just a couple of seconds. Um, hey, folks, if uh, you're in the market for some new blades, uh, you know where to go, Royal Sports. Royal's always been the hockey superstore in Manitoba for over 40 years. Um, and listen, anyone that plays hockey knows you can go there, and whether you're a goaltender, whether you need a new twig, um, they have uh, the best equipment at the best prices in town. What you might not know is that they've also got some more affordable skates that might not be set up for elite hockey playing, uh, but are perfect to get out and make the most of the Winnipeg winter on the skating trails or on the ODR. So if you are in the uh, market for some blades and maybe don't want to spend too much, make sure to pop down to Royal Sports and check that out. Um, we'll also, uh, while you're there, check out the thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise, the new retro reverse jerseys, tons of bomber gear as well, not to mention NFL with the playoffs. You got a team that's still kicking around in the final four. Get ready for the weekend by popping down and gearing up at Royal, uh, Major League Baseball, International Soccer, and more. It's all there at Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. And of course, you can follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. Now, while you're thinking about maybe gearing up your uh, your merch and your fan gear for being a sports fan, for day-to-day -day life, if you need to boost the wardrobe, you know where to go, and that's F Apparel down at 190 Smith Street. Uh, you've got the uh, best custom suits for men in town at great prices, starting at just $400. Custom-made shirts, uh, pants, golf pants, chinos, and more, not to mention an incredible selection of men's accessories. Uh, upgrading the wardrobe all starts at F, and fellas, if you're in a wedding party, don't waste money on rent and tuxes. You can get the uh, entire wedding party outfitted in custom suits for the event that you can use after the fact, and everyone will save 15%. And they've also got a great offer for 2023 grads. If a young man that is graduating needs a suit, they'll give you a free custom shirt and tie with every suit purchase, a sale of 150 bucks. Find out more, make an appointment online at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. And hey, if you're not going to the game tonight, big slate of games, including that Boston-Tampa game getting on at uh, 6 o'clock. Um, but you can always pop by Boston Pizza for ice-cold schooners, great pizza, delicious wings, and the Winnipeg Jets on the big screen with big sound. Uh, and hey, if you're staying in tonight, you could do a lot worse than ordering Boston Pizza online. Check them out at bostonpizza.com. For citywide delivery. All right. As I mentioned, Marat's latest in the athletic 
is the Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup contender checklist. What are they missing? We'll get to that as well as tonight's game right now as we welcome in Murata Tesh from The Athletic. Murat, welcome home. How was, uh, how was the trip out east? I got to tell you, um, good to be back home. Trip was great as well. Got some family time in in Montreal. Uh, Jets had plenty of storylines going on. Um, yeah, I'm in a good spot right now, Huss. How are we, do- how are we doing? Good. Well, I'm I'm fired up. I'm honestly having a hard time concentrating on this hockey because I'm so fired up to get to Arrowhead for this football game on the weekend in the AFC Championship game. However, I've been looking forward to this game tonight for a long time because I'll be honest, outside of the Winnipeg Jets, I've just been infatuated with the Buffalo Sabres this year. They're such an interesting team. So many exciting young players. If you like goals, they're the team to watch. They score a ton, and they can't keep them out of their own net either. And we've seen Tage Thompson turn into a legit NHL superstar. We were just talking to uh, to Joe Yurden, and sort of at the end I mentioned, I have a feeling this Sabres team not only comes into Winnipeg tonight with a lot of confidence having won four straight, but probably feels like they owe the Winnipeg Jets one for the way Connor Hellebuck heisted two points out of Buffalo in that game a couple of weeks back. One hundred percent. I mean, you describe Buffalo just perfectly and they have such tremendous offensive talent. They've had issues, uh, you know, with their goaltending at various times and of course their defense too, but they controlled a large swaths of that game that Winnipeg won a couple of weeks back. And I know that Winnipeg wasn't particularly proud of the process that night, giving up too many quality chances to players like Tage Thompson, who, I mean, it's like watching Dustin Bufflin as a forward sometimes, maybe without the mean streak, but certainly with the, how did a big man like that make that stick skill play like he just did? And I mean, I know that, It's been more about assists than goals for him lately. I think that the offensive chances are there for him. But it's not just him. You've got Jeff Skinner being productive. You've got Dylan Cousins. You have Eric Comrie and Golden Knight for a potential revenge game as well. So lots of fun storylines. And when a team is so dynamic offensively and so porous defensively like Buffalo, they haven't won a lot in recent years, it's easy to make them a favorite second team, I think, for a lot of people. I think a lot of players or a lot of people in Winnipeg would probably be amused with them as maybe a second favorite team or a fun team to watch out East. You know, it was interesting hearing Bones talk this morning about how they got the players in early today, uh, maybe handle things a little different than a normal home game. And um, I think it's probably a pretty good move when you think about how much hockey this team has played, how much traveling they've been. I mean, historically, there often has been a bit of a lull when a team gets back on home ice. And this particular challenge, even more, Marat, just because of the calendar and the guys know that come Tuesday, they're going to be off for 11 days. Um, it would be human nature at some point to maybe look ahead to that point, especially considering what they've done so far. Um, what do you make of this next three games, this period at home, and the way Rick Bonus sort of spoke this morning, how... They're going to need to be very much ready for the Buffalo Sabres and handling it a little bit differently, trying to get in front of any potential um, lull, if you will, coming back off the road. Well, I think that you're exactly right to point that out. I I 
think that Winnipeg is in a situation where, hey, they're going to be near the top of the Western Conference standings, whether they go three for three or play the three worst games of their regular season. And that can sometimes be a tough spot. We've also seen exactly like you described, Winnipeg have games where they come back from the road, everybody gets settled, they do their laundry, like Neil Pionk was saying today, and then they get back at it. And it takes them a while to find their legs. And all of a sudden, they're chasing the game. And the thing I like about Rick Bonus talking about getting in front of it is that he walked the walk with that today, too. The Jets coaching staff, I am certain, I am certain they talked about this as a group uh, in advance of the morning skate because the energy at morning skate was increased today. They didn't go for too, too long, but the intensity was up, especially during five-on-five drills, and I think it was led by the coaches. They were chipper. There was lots of whistles. Everyone to a man on that coaching staff was just a little bit extra communicative, I want to say, And I think that that's exactly what they're trying to do in morning skate form. It was a concerted effort. They're not just saying, hey, be sharp. This is a trouble spot. They're actually trying to change the energy. And hopefully for the Jets' sake, that means that that energy translates to the opening minutes of tonight's game. Uh, We've seen them struggle when chasing lately. Um, I think it's going to be incredibly important to maintain some of the good process that wasn't always rewarded in the back half of that road trip. Yeah, well, and, and you know, while we're at that, before we kind of focus more in on uh, tonight and as well the uh, you know your article and a look ahead to the trade deadline, um, what did you think of the Nashville game? Um, listen, the second period didn't seem to be certainly played in the Jets' favor. I think it was what nineteen five in shots. I'm not sure whether that number was a little inflated or not, but the bottom line was they got a ton of great chances. That to me was just a hell of a goaltending duel. And UC Saros maybe got a little extra iron and made one more save. Yeah, I I mean, that's the sort of game that could be won by either team. You're not looking at it as, of course, Nashville won or, of course, Winnipeg should have won or what have you. It was a game where both of them threw what they had on that given night at the other team's goaltender. And, you know, so so Nashville gets the uh, gets the advantage. Um, I mean, it was just a shooting gallery out there, as your stats are showing right now. I think that there was a little bit of inflation in that second period. Um, But I also think that it was... It was a case of Nashville being just a little bit sharper. I mean, that goal they score on the wraparound late is just a matter of getting into space before a player who's in position and then collecting a rebound off the backboards faster than Winnipeg can get to it. The Jets are there. They're making the right attempts, but they're a step behind on all fronts and and not able to close things off. And I think maybe... Maybe I'm, I'm willing to make some scheduled excuses for them on that front in terms of energy levels not matching what the eyes and, uh, and brain were trying to get accomplished. Um, so I, I'm not going to make a full season evaluation on that game. I think, you know, the loss was a fair outcome. Um, and then it's going um, to be about getting back to their game and their fundamentals without letting fatigue be or, or maybe eyes on a beach a week from now be the, the story of the game. They've got to make their quality of play, the story of the game. They do that, they should be okay. Uh, Murat, what did you make of uh, Logan Stanley's uh, return to the lineup and the fact that he's in again tonight? What does that tell you about the depth chart in the uh, mind of the coach? Yeah, Rick Bonus said today that, you know, they're looking at probably a cycle between Logan Stanley and, and Dylan Sandberg for that sixth spot. And I think that 
makes sense from the perspective that they're clearly invested in their veterans. They're absolutely invested in their veterans. You're not going to see a Stanley Samberg pairing or something to that effect with Neil Pionk or Brendan Dillon or any of these other guys coming out of the lineup, despite what you know Twitter may ask for on various days. Winnipeg is committed to those top five guys. The other thing to keep in mind, I think, with Logan Stanley, we're looking at a small sample, just 95, 96 minutes, I think, at five on five so far this season. But he's been improved compared to last year. Last year, there were too many chances against when he was on the ice. Despite his size, despite his strength, you could watch him get beat in front of the net. You could watch him get beat in puck battles. And certainly one thing that I think he'll continue to develop in as the years go by is not letting somebody over his shoulder get into space for the back door or what have you. I think a guy like Dylan Sandberg is ahead of Stanley in that particular regard. Um, But I think that overall, his body of work this season has been solid. So it makes sense for both Stanley and Dylan Sandberg to be thought of as amongst the six best defensemen that Winnipeg has on any given night. And you know, you know the Jets like the part of Stanley that's going to deliver the hit like he did to open the game. It's kind of cheesy these days that a hit like that has to be met with a fight, but he's game for that too. And that's a certain element of Stanley that, uh, you know, for for a coaching staff that has really only seen him play more or less well when he's been in the lineup, they don't have last season's struggles to, to focus on. I think they're getting exactly what they like out of him, and you're going to continue to see that two-man rotation uh, between him and Sandberg until one person claims the job, or they add a veteran that pushes them both out of the lineup. Well, and that is a great uh, a great little segue to uh, your piece in The Athletic. Um, it's the your latest the Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup contender checklist. What are they missing? Um, before we talk about it, what was the approach going into this? How did you, uh, when you said, okay, we're going to talk about this trade deadline and putting together the, the needs of a club or the wishes or wants, where did you start? Well, I ran this checklist for the Jets last season after the trade deadline where we use sort of Don Lucician's model, which has looked at, he, he wrote an article, I think a couple of years back now, where he looked at every Stanley Cup winner from something like 2008 to the present moment. And he's updated it in the years since with Shana Goldman's help at The Athletic. And what he basically found is this estimate of how good each player is supposed to be to fit in the mix of a, of a Stanley Cup champion. How good is that top center supposed to be, that second line center, how good is the number one defenseman and what that depth looks like in behind him and, and goaltending, et cetera, down the line. And obviously it's, it's possible, and we've seen it, for teams to win Stanley Cups in a variety of ways. Sometimes the defense is stacked. Sometimes it's all offense. Sometimes it's a hot goaltender. But he was able to find some trends that, you know, here's a range for what a cup contender should look like at these various positions. And I wanted to... Because last year when I ran this for the Jets at the trade deadline, the argument was, this is a horrible season. The Jets are so far away. Why wouldn't they trade Paul Stastny and try to get some futures back? Why were they sending assets to to Ottawa for a player whose name I'm blanking on right now? Oh, Zach Sanford. Zach Sanford, yeah. Or, and did I, Anyway, for why did they send assets out for, for Zach Sanford at a time when they were clearly that far away? Um, this year, it's different. This year, we know the Jets have played well. We know they're towards the top of the Western Conference. And my approach was, okay, let's take my visual sense of this team out of it and compare them to these metrics and say, hey, are they good enough to stack up against 
you know, the Colorado Avalanches, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, a team like the Boston Bruins, et cetera, having that kind of success right now. And if not, well, where are those weak spots? And if yes, then then what is it that's driving Winnipeg's success from a metrics point of view? All right. So we've got to it. And, and listen, I mean, we won't go through the entire thing, but I mean, these are topics that we've talked about before. A top six forward, a top level defenseman. But it is interesting that you you start off with not one, but two more top six forwards. Um, why was that at the top of the list? And um, I'll be honest, I was just a little surprised that it wasn't one, but two. Yeah, the thing I think that you expect, you know, when we when we evaluate most teams during the regular season, it's okay, well, they're, you know, like the Jets, you know, they've been in the top half of the standings. Sometimes they're really close to the top five or top top team in the Western Conference. So you know they're good. That is a, That is a fact. We evaluate them as good. But when you're comparing them to the elites, the cup contenders of years past, the ones that were projected to go deep, the teams that won the Stanley Cup in the end, well, now you're you're just raising the bar for evaluation. And what you find with the great teams over the years, the ones that win or go deep, is it's not just that they have one center of, say, Mark Shifley's quality, but they have two first-line capable centers that would be first-line centers on any given team. And you can make that you can make the argument for Shifley and Dubois on the Winnipeg Jets. You can look at Federov and Iserman or Sakic and Forsberg or, you know, um, Lemieux and Francis all the way back, Crosby and Malkin. You can you can do that sort of thing where they don't just have one line good enough to play top line minutes. They have two, sometimes more. So you have more than two first line wingers, more than one first line center. And they have players on their third line oftentimes that would fit in the second or even first lines on other teams. So it's not good enough if you're comparing to a contender to have one guy that's, you know, an average team's first line left wing, you need Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers before you're really saying, okay, well, you feel really quite good about that. Um, And it's not good enough to have two right wing or sorry, one right wing in that, in that category, you need a season like what Blake Wheeler's given the jets and then Cole Perfetti to be just good enough to qualify as well, based on what he's done so far. And it goes on and on and on. You don't need one Josh Morrissey. Ideally, Winnipeg would have two of him, and then you'd be like, okay, this this team is cooking. They're a bit of a wagon. Well, and, and, and you know, the blue line, and, and, you know, I kind of waffled on this back and forth because, I mean, the results have been great for the Winnipeg Jets. We know where they are. But to your point, when you compare, if the measuring stick is a team that wins the Stanley Cup, um, you know, I'm not sure. Like, they're deep, and they certainly have guys that can come in in that sixth position, hold their own. Um, but to win and go for a long run in the playoffs, you often do need that second defenseman. And, and you know, while I, uh, it's fun to talk about a Bo Horvat or a Timo Meyer and Jonathan Taves and some very intriguing prospects up front, I can't help but think that if they could get an impact defenseman that could play behind Morrissey in a top four role, that that might be the most the single most impactful move that the Winnipeg Jets could make. I mean, compared to what Winnipeg is getting in those spots, I think so too. I'm not sure that that's their philosophy, and I can get into why I think that. But I think when you have, I mean, Neil Pionk sort of was asked to self-evaluate today, and he's saying, you know what, I, I could be defending better right now. And, uh, you know, the second power play is a little bit on me. I help run it, and we're not scoring a ton of points. At five on five, he's 
had a lot of chances go against him this year. And whether you, you know, are a proponent of the eye test and just trusting sort of your own read of the passes he makes, given the outlets that he's had, or you're a metrics based person or both, you can say that this hasn't been Neil Pionk at his best. You have to go about two years ago and three years ago to see when he was really almost leading the Jets defense in quality um, to have a situation where other than Morrissey, there's another great defenseman on, on, on the team. And so if you could just flip the Pionk's metrics that you're getting today with maybe his first two seasons in Winnipeg, you'd feel a whole lot better about the team. And if you're not able to do that and you can't snap your fingers and make Dustin Bufflin reappear out of the ether, well, then you need, I think, uh, a player who you can trust. And I don't think that it's seen... It's hard for me to see Jacob Chikrin ending up in Winnipeg. It's hard for me to see Eric Carlson ending up in Winnipeg. If you can snap your fingers and make those things happen, I think that's an area, that second pairing, uh, where Winnipeg stands to have the most to gain. Because all of their players are good and capable and helpful, but I think they have a few too many nines and tens playing where you might like a king or an ace uh, you know, behind the, the ace that has been Josh Morrissey all season long. Yeah, then he certainly has been the ace. There's no doubt about that. It, you know, when we talk about guys that have been rumored, and it was funny, Rewicki and I were chopping this up yesterday. Um, you know, certainly we hear the name Jacob Chikrin quite a bit, and Chikrin's very intriguing for a couple of reasons. A, I think he'd come in and be a big improvement and, you know, would be a guy you could put out there for 20, 25 minutes a night that could play a ton. He's also got two years left on his deal at a pretty affordable 4.6. Now, that's great for Arizona because I think what they can demand for that goes up significantly as opposed to a player that might only be there for, um, you know, for a couple months in a cup run. Um, Ivan Provorov was the other guy that has been mentioned. Now, I mean, obviously with what happened back in Philly, I'm not sure if he's radioactive enough that teams would even entertain bringing him in for uh, the PR of that. And, you know, obviously these are businesses, um, you know, they're, they're, you, you can't overlook that. But outside of those two guys that, you know, have been mentioned, um, is there a player or two on the blue line that you might connect to the Winnipeg Jets or at least might make sense for the Winnipeg Jets to sort of take a swing at? Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm just beginning to sort of wrap my head around that. I, I know that Vladislav Gavrikov is somebody that Columbus has been meant to, to depend on quite a bit this year with some other injuries. He's well over 20 minutes per night in, in Columbus, and he's playing top competition. He's playing a lot of PK minutes, even some power play, but there's no way that he would do that in Winnipeg. That might be the the type of tier of defenseman that you start to imagine for Winnipeg. And then it depends on the prices. And if they sincerely believe that he'd be an upgrade to what they have in their top four, that's the the type of of player that I'm imagining uh, because I can't see it being Chikrin uh, because I think, like you say, his price is just going to be so sky high. At the same time, I think that there's maybe a recognition in Winnipeg that there are a lot of unique things about this season, what with, you know, Dubois' uncertainty in his future, Morrissey having the year of his life, Hallibuck in his prime, um, all of everything's pointed just right, that they might be willing to spend, um, you know, spend some top prospects, spend some top draft capital to help make sure. And beyond Gavrikov, but beyond the guys that we're always hearing about, I'm not really too sure who, who those guys are are necessarily going to be at this stage. Well, I, the bottom line is, I mean, teams aren't looking to just give up top four defensemen. I mean, regardless of where you are in the standings and uh, and the price is significant. Moving up to the forward group, we talked a little bit about, you know, the 
the reason why, based on this model, when you're comparing to Stanley Cup champions, the team would like to add more. I mean, uh, who is the most attractive player? I mean, regardless of the future, because Meyer's interesting. He's got a $10 million option on his deal, but even if you hold your nose and pay that, you at least have him under team control. A player like Bo Horvat has no such security and could be walking out the door. Um, where does where does the Murata Tesh wish list start if you're playing Winnipeg Jets GM looking ahead to the deadline when it comes to forwards? Your wish list is Timo Meyer, 100%. And the reasons are, are many. Um, first of all, I don't have to spend the $10 million to, to qualify him. Yeah. That does not come out of, you know what I mean? But also, it's just a matter of quality and the way he gets his job done. He, he can do it any way. He has... He has tremendous skill. He finishes from in and around the net. I mean, he's cruising at a point per game. He can play a chippy game, a phys- physical game. Um, and that's an element that's kind of missing amongst Winnipeg's other top six forwards. You're not going to get the same kind of physicality from Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor, as special of players as those are. And as well, if you're Winnipeg and maybe you're staring down the pipe of Pierre-Luc Dubois exiting at some point, whether it's this summer or next or what have you, and you're looking for a player who can play a power forward type game, well, Timo Meyer is that moving forward. Similarly, if you're not necessarily looking for that and you're looking at that $10 million qualifying offer and, wow, that's too rich for us, you know, teams have spent assets and, uh, and, and good players for one playoff run rentals in the past. And even if that's what Timo Meyer becomes for the Winnipeg Jets in a season like this, I think he's the cream of the crop in terms of quality and playing style that would really help Winnipeg feel like it could win any which way, right? I think that there's a little bit of one dimension uh, in, in that top six right now. I think that you hear general managers talk about Josh Anderson type players or Blake Coleman or what have you. Those players just aren't on the on the level that a Timo Meyer is. And I think that's what makes him number one for me. Um, I, I also got to say, Hus, I hear the Horvat stuff and I, I hear the theory, okay, there's some insulation in the center department. If Dubois' future is uncertain or heck, even if Mark Shively's future is uncertain, having this third option that you might be able to extend, well, I don't see that extension happening. I don't see a player showing up for one stretch run who's ready to go UFA, suddenly putting that aside for anything less than a massive UFA payday. That I don't think that that solves a whole lot of long-term problems for the Winnipeg Jets, nor would Jonathan Taves, though I understand he's a popular uh, person and, and player around this city and also uh, would be able to handle third-line center duties with a pinch of top six minutes too. Well, yeah, let's get into Taves because... What's interesting about Taves, first of all, I think we realize that the cost for Taves would be much less than it would be for Horvat. I mean, you know, the Canucks are going to be looking at the old first-rounder prospect player package, um, and it sounds like it would be draft capital, not including a first-rounder, that the Chicago Blackhawks would be looking for at Taves. Like, Taves is not Timo Meyer, but he also brings... Uh, you know, a number of things that I think help you win in the playoffs and could help the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, just as a as a fit based on what this team is right now, what are your thoughts on Taves and what he could bring and how impactful he'd be for the Jets? Well, I mean, the advantages to Taves, I think, are, are the clear and obvious ones. I mean, he's been through multiple playoff runs. He's been all the way to the Stanley Cup championship. He's won it. He's been a key player on those teams. 
And I don't think that it's reasonable to expect him to be the player he was at his peak, which was darn near perfect uh, on the ice at least. Um, I don't think that that's a reasonable ask. But he's still producing a certain degree of offense. You can still believe that you can trust him in a two-way capacity. And I think that the things that he might give you, for example, he might be able to be a second-line left wing if you don't think Cole Perfetti's going on any given night that you trust in those high-leverage defensive situations. Or he might be that um, he might take the draws because he's so excellent at center, perhaps with Mark Scheifele on his right wing. You could imagine combinations where it gives Winnipeg a more 200-foot proven, established, have been there and seen that um, look to their to their top six. Or if he's the third-line center, then you can move Lowry up, as the Jets have been fond of doing in high-leverage moments, protecting leads, et cetera, throughout this year. Um, so I think that that's the type of flexibility up front that Winnipeg would like. The other thing that a player like Taves would give you, and, and certainly you know adding Meyer or whomever would also give you this, is another power play capable player. I don't think Adam Lowry is best suited for that job on that second power play unit. Yes, he wins the faceoffs. Yes, he's willing to go to the net. But if you're looking for something that's going to change the nature of that second power play unit, a player with a little more offensive uh, experience and uh, and execution, I think like Jonathan Taves could help that unit. And I could begin to see that fit. So would the juice be worth the squeeze of a tra- of the t- Taves deal? I mean, I think at the end, you know, you realize the cost wouldn't be um listen for asset wise i think it makes sense for the winnipeg jets obviously it's a huge contract and you know you don't know whether some of it would be held back like i'm not sure that would be the only move for what it would cost to get a player like meyer it probably limits what else you have for other additions um how much of that do you think it makes sense for the Winnipeg Jets if you were talking about being able to get Taves and then still have the assets to add one of the other pieces on your wish list? I mean, if you're able to do that, I think that that takes a, a great degree of cap retention on Chicago's part. I think Winnipeg is well positioned to be able to absorb big contracts. But if you're looking to make multiple moves and those players coming in are getting paid, well, then you need a little bit of help, I think. And, um, you know, that's, it's almost blue sky territory because if you don't think you're giving up your your top assets, your first round pick, your Ville Hainala, your um, you know Chaz Lucius or or any of the other recent draft picks for a guy like Taves, but you also feel like he fills that hole at third center, then you can presumably take whatever else you're going shopping with and looking and, and use that to look for 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 other assets, either uh, higher up the depth chart or on defense or or what have you. And Winnipeg's in a unique spot where the West is a little bit open looking. You know Colorado's putting it together at some point and eventually they're going to get Landeskog back and that will add to, you know, what's been a strong stretch of play since January. So there there are things to fear in the West, but if you're just comparing how good Winnipeg has been uh, to the to the to the path that you might envision for them through the playoffs, even though we've seen them go down the road of trading futures and then seeing how that impacts the team, you can make the argument that this is the year to do it and uh, and shopping for as many pieces as possible makes some sense if you're getting a Taves-like return on it with just a second or a third or whatever they'd have to give on it. Just chatting uh, Jets trade deadline and Marat's latest in the athletic Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup contender checklist. What are they missing? Just before we go, there's a really interesting graph in this piece. And 
you know, uh, along the lines of how you explain comparing it to the top cup teams, it sort of says where the Winnipeg Jets are adequate, where they might need, a, uh, you know, improvement. And I look at this gold check beside Nate Schmidt as a top bear defenseman, and it got me thinking. We spent so much time talking about Josh Morrissey's season for obvious reasons. Um, outside of Josh Morrissey, have we, maybe because of Morrissey's incredible season, have we given Nate Schmidt enough credit for the turnaround that he's had this year? And, and by the same uh, by the same token, the coaching staff for getting the most out of Nate Schmidt and putting him in a position really to succeed? I mean, I don't think that he's gotten enough credit for his on-ice play. I, I really don't. I saw some criticism of him, you know, in my ads on Twitter today, which seemed to imply, okay, he's expensive, he's not worth that, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I, I understand that Nate Schmidt's cap hit is, is enormous for essentially a third-pair defenseman. But I think that the narrative is that he hasn't been bringing it from that particular perspective. The key thing with the way that Winnipeg uses its D and has under multiple coaching staffs is that the third pair gets relatively sheltered minutes. That's why in Logan Stanley's rookie season, he was able to put up tremendous metrics. And then when he was a little bit more exposed last year, that there were some struggles there. And Nate Schmidt's primary role has been on that third pair, usually with Dylan Sandberg, certainly with Logan Stanley of late as well, uh, which is a partnership that struggled sometimes last year, to be clear. But he's delivered from that point of view. He's had a sheltered role and he's crushed it. So I'm not going to say that he's a top pair defenseman, but he is a player that has been able to chip into the offense, has been able to keep a reasonably clean defensive zone from a third pairing perspective against some of those softer matchups that he gets. And he, in that role, is delivering um, is delivering a tremendous quality season from that point. You can say that Winnipeg's third pair is a strength. Uh, which I don't think you've been able to say for a few years. Marat, great stuff. Can't wait for this game tonight, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, more on this topic from you and The Athletic and here on WST in the weeks to come. Have a great one, and thanks for doing this. Right on, uh, you too. There he is, uh, w- at WPG Marat, Marat Atesh, and make sure you're subscribing to The uh, Athletic for all of Marat's great content. All right, I'm um, going to give a quick shout-out to our friends at Princess Auto. Mentioned that... Team Jennifer Jones, part of the Princess Auto family, on the ice right now out at the Scotties. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of some of Manitoba's top curling teams, curling around the country, as well as the Bombers, Gold Eyes, and Winnipeg Sports Talk. And Princess Auto is the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panit Road or Portage Avenue West, And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Whatever your water needs are, folks, Culligan has been there for you in Manitobans for over 65 years, family-owned here in Winnipeg, uh, with everything you need when it comes to water. Softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Hit them up in person at 1200 Sargent Avenue. You can give Culligan a call at 204-694-5180 or check out all of their products and services for whatever you and your family needs online at drinkculligan.com. And hey, as that January winds down, folks, don't forget... 
You've still got a few days left to get on those great deals at Manitoba Liquor Marts from our friends at Canadian Club and Beam Suntory. The Canadian Club 12-Year Reserve is now on a deep discount, the best deal you'll see all of 2023. And there's also a new product in the rye category from our friends at Beam Suntory, Rifle Rye, which is on a great new introductory sale price as well. So pop on down, get Canada's finest Canadian club, check out that Rifle Rye and all the great Beam Suntory products at your local Manitoba liquor marts. All right, we've still got lots to get to on the show today. We will do the cool bet lines, see what's up for this game tonight. Big one between Boston and Tampa, as we talked about a little bit earlier before. And Royal Rumble odds are out. I know Kabilis and some of the guys in the chat are going to be liking that. Uh, We're also going to touch on the Aussie Open as it gets down to the semis with John Horn for a couple minutes. Uh, But right now, let's welcome in Eric Soir from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League because a really interesting event is back post-pandemic here in Winnipeg next week. Uh, it is the Manitoba Junior Hockey League Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League Showcase featuring the top 60 players in the MJ competing against the top 60 in the SJ. And uh, Eric joins me now. Eric, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk, man. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm sure a lot of excited players, uh, even some excited coaches going ahead to this event. Give us a little bit of background on this event and uh, why it has become such an important couple days for players looking to continue their hockey career after grinding in the MJ. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the first three renditions of this event were held in uh, Regina. The SJHL hosted it. Um, the last two were canceled due to the pandemic. We were supposed to host last year. We had kind of everything set and, and, and ready to go. And, um, you know, just out of a, an abundance of caution had to postpone it to, to this January. So yeah, we're, we're really excited. Uh, we're, we're getting the opportunity to host this event for the first time. And um, yeah, no, it, it just creates a, a great opportunity for our players and for players in the, in the SJHL as well to, uh, you know, show their best in front of um, NHL scouts, NCAA division one, U sports. Um, so a really high end event, the players get treated really well. Uh, we kind of roll out the red carpet for these guys and, um, it's just a, a great event, uh, you know, to get the two leagues together, get all the, the staffs and the coaches and uh, just everyone in one center. It's a really exciting time for both leagues. Yeah, so this event is happening next week, January 31st and Wednesday, February 1st. It's all going to be taking place out at the Seven Oaks Iceplex. And, you know, it's interesting the way this has sort of been configured in that you've got a couple of teams of under 20s and then you got an under 18 team for both leagues as well. Fill us in a little bit on, you know, the players and how they were, I guess, selected and the strategy of putting the under 18s in uh, sort of on a separate squad. Yeah. So just, I guess, pitting the U 18s uh, against each other, kind of the, the NHL scouts that are preparing for the upcoming draft. Uh, that's the, those are the games that they're extremely interested in. Obviously there's draft eligible players that will be playing, um, you know, we, we've got a player in the league right now on Steinbach, Warren Clark. He made the, the mid-season rankings for the upcoming NHL draft. So uh, just getting the high-end young guys together um, in, a, in a competitive atmosphere just puts on a, a great show for the scouts and allows them to kind of compete against, you know, players in their age category. But, um, yeah, and then obviously the two U20 teams, 
uh, those guys that haven't gotten scholarships or haven't made their commitments already are, um, you know, doing their best to uh, to put on a show for the scouts as well. You know, we've had, uh, I think there's about eight or nine guys right now that are committed to play Division One over the next couple of years that are playing right now in the MJHL. So, um, and then even on the Saskatchewan side as well, there's uh, a handful, if not more, uh, guys that have committed to play Division One so far. So, uh, a high-end event. There's, you know, players in both leagues that have played in the Western League before, so they have that major junior experience. And you know, those guys obviously not eligible to play NCAA, so they're looking for a, a U Sports scholarship here in Canada. But um, yeah, no, just a really exciting time for both leagues, and we're really looking forward to, to hosting the event next week. Yeah, you can uh, find out more information on the event over at mjhlhockey.ca, uh, and there's links. Obviously, all the information is on there. Um, you know, you mentioned the NCAA scouts and, of course, U Sports. And, you know, listen, it's awesome to hear these guys when they get selected, if they do in the, the National Hockey League and start in that, that path. But a big reason why so many players choose to play in the Manitoba League is that they are eligible for, you know, playing on a scholarship, whether it be north or south of the border. And uh, I would imagine there'll be a, a well-represented group of scouts from uh, universities on both sides of the 49th parallel when uh, the puck drops on Tuesday. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, the, not only Division One schools, a ton of guys out of the MJHL go on down south and play in NCAA Division III. Um, yeah, from everywhere you can think of from coast to coast, you know, both in the United States and Canada, we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see many scouts. And um, it, it, it's great. I mean, you know, our league... Uh, has gotten, I think, more and more maybe a respect over the last few years. We've just been trying to do everything to to showcase our players, showcase that, you know, this is a, a great league to play in and, and a, a great situation for you to develop. I mean, at the end of the day, we're a development league and we're trying to develop our players not only on the ice but off the ice to you know, contribute positively to, to society and, and to become great citizens. So um, just – uh, yeah, uh, we're a development league, and, and that's what we're looking to do, develop our players and move them on to the highest level possible. Well, if you want to check some of this out, it should be some great action. Seven Oaks next Tuesday and Wednesday. All the information is online uh, over at the Manitoba Junior Hockey League website. Uh, before we go, fill us in on this season so far. I mean, uh, you're about at the 40-game mark for the MJ, and you know, you look and you got two of the, the teams that have been very strong the last few years, the Steinbach Pistons and the Portage Terriers right there, tied at the top of the East Division at 58 points with Winkler just four back. And then looking at the West Division, Eric, it's crazy. The top three teams, Weiwei, Swan Valley, OCN, all tied at 49 points. And then Dauphin just two points back with the game in hand. I mean, from a competitive standpoint, I've followed this league for a long time. I'm not sure I can ever remember it being as tight as it is this deep into the regular season. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to believe how tight that West Division is. I mean, you look from first place to last place in the division, there's only a six-point gap. So um, what's going to happen uh, come playoff time? Who's going to make it? It's going to come down to the wire, which is going to make for, obviously, an extremely str- uh, exciting stretch run here. and. Yeah, like you said, you go to the East and you have Portage and Steinbach at the top. They just played last night. Uh, Steinbach beat Portage in Portage. So uh, they're both tied right now at the top. Obviously, Portage, they're going to be hosting the Centennial Cup this year in May. So uh, super exciting for the league, for the Terriers. They were supposed to host uh, back in 2020. Obviously, it got canceled and and, and moved. So 
Um, yeah, the parity in the league has been extraordinary this year. Um, you know, all of these coaches in our league, extremely competitive guys. Um, and the players, you got to give credit to the players. I mean, these guys are, are relentless and they're they're willing to put in the work every day and uh, to get better and develop and try to move on to the next level. So uh, every night, you know, uh, a top team can go against a, a bottom team, so to speak, and uh, no lead is safe. And, you know, we've started uh, recently to do a, a Friday night pick them uh, on our social media platforms with some of the broadcasters in our league. And, uh, you know, best of luck to them on a weekly basis because you never know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, it is just great for the league. And there's been a number of things that have been really positive for the league coming out of the pandemic. And one, I got to give a shout out to our pal, Nick, DQ Nick, uh, from Nick and Nicky DQ. Of course, they've got their DQ out in Niverville. Um, and he was a big part of um, that new team, the Nighthawks. Um, you know, for a new team, um, they're doing quite well, 19 and 17. From the sounds of it, it has been very, very well received by the community out there in Niverville, which continues to grow. Um, tell us a little bit about the newest team in the league and uh, how that's gone so far from your perspective. Yeah, you know what? I think it's gone um, as good as it, it can um, just from, from day one. You know, it's been years in the making. Um, I, I know, I think it was back in 2007 that the group in Niverville kind of reached out to the MJHL and started inquiring about what they need to do to, to have a team to operate in Niverville and, yeah, they've done a really good job from, you know, promotion off the ice and, and how they do business and uh, their team, first and foremost, uh, Kelvin Sheck, he's their head coach and general manager, who was the uh, coach of the year, actually, in uh, three seasons back in Winkler. Um, so, you know, uh, they're just, uh, they're doing really well. It's great to see to have another team in the league that's strong uh, and that's, you know, just heightening kind of the uh, the stature of the league, uh, just Definitely hats off to them here in their first season. Eric, listen, great to have you on the program and uh, great to get a little MJ update and look ahead to that great event on Tuesday and Wednesday at Seven Oaks. Folks, find out more information on the entire event and how you can get out and check it out. The best of the Manitoba Junior League versus the best of the Saskatchewan Junior League in a showcase for a couple days next week here in Winnipeg. Eric, thanks for doing this, man, and uh, all the best with everything next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good stuff. There's Eric Swar from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. And again, mjhlhockey.ca for all the information on next week's showcase. Well, as I mentioned, got to give a big uh, stick tap to, to Nick and the entire crew there in Niverville behind the Niverville Nighthawks. Been a great, great debut season and um, real, po- real positive news for the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. And of course, both before and after the games out in Niverville, a lot of people hitting the uh, Nick and Nicky DQ there, along with three locations here in Winnipeg, the DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, and DQ Northgate pop by for those great de- bl- uh, delicious blizzard treats, perfect for before or after the game. Um, and, of course, if you're thinking about a big event, maybe a party coming up, Talk to Nick and Nikki about a DQ ice cream cake or blizzard cake. You can hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba and order online. Uh, get a pick up, a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. Um, and hey, a big shout out to our friends over at Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg's favorite local beer. Uh, might be a great night to go out for a couple 1919s and watch what should be a real fun hockey game tonight between. 
the Winnipeg Jets and the Buffalo Sabres. Don't forget, save the date, March 29th at Little Brown Jug, our second ever WST Sports Trivia Night with Little Brown Jug. Had such a great time and a great turnout. The first time, looking forward to seeing maybe some of you that weren't able to get out for the first time when we do it again on the 29th of March, of course, Pick up Little Brown Jug wherever they sell great beer, and you can always check it out in the exchange at the Little Brown Jug Brewery on William Avenue or order online at littlebrownjug.ca. All right, always on the move. Let's welcome in our guy, John Horn, to uh, get ready for this uh, final weekend of the Australian Open. No Canadians left, but uh, some still some great storylines. John, what's up? How are you? What's happening? Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Always nice to uh, talk tennis, although it'd be uh, a lot better if we had some Canadians actually in the tournament. But hey, you get, what, what can you do? We had Felix go to the fourth round at least, but it uh, would have been nice to get them a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, you know, just before we get into who's left, I mean, um, you know, Felix did have that run. Uh, uh, fill us in. Uh, Bianca, Leila, uh, Denis Shapovalov. I mean, uh, o- overall, what um, was there one player that maybe did more close to their expectations and uh, who had disappointing results? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a bit disappointing. You know, the Australian Open is kind of a strange uh, it's, it's a strange tournament. It's the start of the year. Uh, everybody's trying to get themselves sorted out. So, I mean, the off season's really short as it is, but I, I don't know, like whenever you think of the Australian open or you see the Australian open, very rarely do you ever see, you know, Novak Djokovic aside, let's be honest. Um, you know, we had Federer and Nadal in a final a few years ago, but for the most part, you get a lot of sort of first time grand slam finalists at the Australian open. Um, you know, over the years, there's been, you know, Petra Gavidova got to a final one year, which was, you know, not really expected. Uh, I know Ash Barty won it last year, which maybe was expected, but she hadn't really had any success, uh, on it, on her home soil, uh, until last year. Uh, Marcos Bagdadis was another guy who got to a final one year and that was the only time he ever got to a slam final. So it's not as if the Australian open is a tournament where you go, Oh, it's going to be, you know, Nadal and Djokovic every year. It very rarely is it the one versus two, um, at the Australian open in the finals. So, you know, again, that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at. I mean, it looks like Djokovic is probably going to get to the final, uh, since he passed has been there three previous or three, been in three previous semis. Um, you know, so he's, he's been used to going deep, but you know, a lot of the players that you see that get to the Australian open, the final four or the final two, not usually the household names that everybody expects all the time. And Tommy Paul, uh, this is the furthest he's gone into a slam. Uh, Karen Hachanoff is a guy who's only made a uh, semi in a slam once. And that came last year at the U S open. So it's not exactly a, a plethora of, you know, the, the dolls, the Sitsi pass, the Djokovic, um, you know, the Dominic team when he was hot, even Federer, you know, was in the semis, but you know, he didn't get to all the Australian open finals. So um, it, it's different. It's different having some different names in there. I mean, I mean, this is going to be the future of tennis too with with a lot of the big names either you know retiring or on the verge of you know winding down their careers we don't know how much Djokovic has got left Nadal is pretty much done uh it seems like Serena Williams is gone Ash Barty retired so we're gonna get a lot of new names a lot of fresh names into the finals and you know I think it's kind of good to see no there's no doubt about it and uh you know Felix did have a nice run it would have been great if he was still sticking around right now because I think there would be a legit opportunity for him to play against most of these guys maybe outside of the Joker Joker's going up against Tommy Paul he's had a great run I mean where did he come from 
Well, I just realized you asked me about the Canadians and I barely touched on them. (laughs) Felix lost in the fourth round. He was the the, the furthest that any of the Canadians went. I thought it was a little bit disappointing for the rest of them. Uh, Shabalov in the third round, Rebecca Marino lost early. Uh, Leila Fernandez, second round, and Bianca, second round. So uh, that sort of sums it up. Um, But yeah, Tommy Paul, he's he's, he's one of these good young American guys and the American group is really solid right now. I mean, I don't know if you've been following closely or not or if, if your listeners or viewers have been um but the american tennis is really on the rise again and it's good to see because it's been sort of in the doldrums for quite a while i mean we've had the john isners who've been around for uh, a period of time a sam query is another guy who just recently retired he's been around for a while but nobody you know has really sort of stood out and has gone super deep into big slams uh since you know the andy roddicks of the world really so uh it's nice to see that you know you're starting to see american tennis take off again uh we saw francis tiafo get to the U.S. Open semis last year, um, the United Cup, which was a combined event with the men and women. Uh, the U.S. team won this year with Jessica Bagula, um, Madison Keys, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz uh, is in the top 10 in the world. He's another player who's had some good success. Um, you know, won Indian Wells this past year, and uh, he's a really strong player. There's a lot of really good young players, and Tommy Paul's sort of one of those guys who sort of built his way up. Uh, I remember seeing him in qualifying at Wimbledon a few years ago. He was good buddies with Nick Kyrgios. I remember Kyrgios watching him play, um, and now he's really just starting to take off. He's, you know, he doesn't uh, do anything super spectacular on court. I mean, he's a good player, solid player, uh, hits good ground strokes, but he's super quick. He's one of the fastest guys on tour. Um, so it's it's good to see the success uh, that he's having and uh, it's good for American tennis. It's good for their ratings. Obviously uh, we saw Ben Sheldon, what he's done, uh, you know, never been outside North America, or never been outside the United States and goes to Australia and gets to the quarterfinals of his first slam. That was pretty good too. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to see. I think it's, it's, it's important for tennis that the U S is, uh, is involved and um, it's not just playing and, you know, previous years, even though it, when Isner was playing and playing well, it was usually, well, if they could get one American into the, uh, into the quarterfinals on the men's side, especially, uh, it was a success. But, you know, on the women's side, too, it's not all about Serena and Venus anymore. There's some good young American players, too. So uh, Jessica Pagula, the number third, three-ranked player in the world, she didn't get to the final, lost uh, in the quarterfinals to uh, Azarenka. But um, she's another solid player. And, and I think the American tennis is in a good space. It's kind of like Canadian tennis. They got a bunch of good players and program is doing well. And I think it's, uh, it's good for tennis. Uh, uh, it, no, I'm just looking at the cool bet odds here for the uh, the the semis and the tournament overall. Hatchinov against uh, CC Pass, CC Pass the favorite, and Djokovic a massive favorite going up against Tommy Paul. Is it basically yeah. Djokovic on one level and then everybody else at another, and everyone's just trying to get a shot at the title? Hundred percent. I mean, Djokovic is dominating Australia. He's dominated it for a while. Uh, I mean, he's won what thirty-nine straight matches now in Australia. Twenty-seven at the Aust- twenty-six rather at the Australian Open. If he wins the semi-final, it'll be twenty-seven in a row. That'll eclipse Agassi for the most uh, at the Australian Open. He hasn't lost this year. Uh, I mean, he's he's doing everything that Djokovic has been doing. Uh, look, he, I mean, he started off the tournament with a wrap around his left hamstring. I thought he had a hamstring issue. Uh, people were thinking, oh, he's not going to be doing that well. It's going to be a struggle for him. He was complaining that it was bothering him. Uh, and then going into the quarterfinals against uh, Demonur, or the fourth round, rather, against Demonur, you thought, oh, well, Demonur, this is a solid player. He runs around the court. He's going to play really well. And 
and he blows him off the court. Like he, it was almost like Demeter wasn't even out there. And then Andre Rublev in the next round, Rublev, very solid player, fifth, fifth seed. Um, you know, it, it, I thought it was going to be a really competitive match. I was looking forward to it. And then Djokovic blew him off the court. So, uh, you know, when you think that he, if he beats those two players who are solid players and no disrespect to Tommy Paul, uh, if he blows those two guys off the court, uh, I don't like Tommy Paul's chances very much because uh, Djokovic is just in one of those zones and uh, he's never lost a semifinal in nine previous semis at the Australian Open. Um, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many numbers and records for him that are on the line and that he just seems to be eclipsing and he's if he wins he gets to this final uh he'll have 34 career finals uh, in slams that'll tie chris everett for the most ever all time uh he's just racking up record after record and um every single year every single tournament it seems that he's are he's sort of solidifying his spot ultimately is probably will go down as the best men's player in the world with all due respect to all the greats including nadal and federer hey just before we go i i've got to ask you this remus reminded me of this earlier today uh there was that incredible match uh, that Andy Murray was in that went till like four in the morning. Yeah. Why yeah. did the ref not let him go take a leak in the middle of such a long match? <laughs> well, a, uh, the, the tennis rules are certainly up for discussion. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, th- there's been a lot of controversy uh, over the years uh, about the, uh, we, we were calling it toilet gate when Sitsi Pass uh, was taking off for his toilet breaks after the sets. Um, you know, there's certain rules that are in the, in the, that are set up where they're not allowed to go for toilet breaks if they've already gone for one before. Uh, I can't remember what the situation was with Murray if he had already gone earlier, so he wasn't allowed to go again. Um, but this is the issue that, that happens with tennis right now, and it's, it's it's a bone of contention uh, from a lot of players, a lot of broadcasters, um, agents. Everybody is a little perturbed about this, is that there's no real set rule um, that, I mean, there are some rules, but there's no real set rule as to how long the bathroom breaks can be, how long players can go off court for. Um, you know, there's supposed to be a time limit. The new, the new rule, which has kind of been created, is they've got a certain amount of time that they have to be there and come back. Somebody's supposed to follow them off court to make sure they know where they're going and they don't try and take an extra couple minutes. Uh, I don't think a lot of players use it as a distraction. Uh, sometimes it's a momentum changer. Uh, but hey, if you got to go to the bathroom, you got to go to the bathroom. What's the big deal? And I think that was the, I think the big bone of contention was that these guys are in the middle of a four or five hour match. It hadn't gotten to the four or five hour point at that point, but the guy just wanted to go to the bathroom. I mean, let the guy go to the bathroom. I mean, what, I mean, walk somebody walk with them to the bathroom just let them go i mean you know if you gotta go if you gotta go you gotta go and uh it got a funny clip out of it that's for sure uh but uh you know it, it is uh murray was involved in that sitsy pass bathroom gate too where he was the one complaining that sitsy pass was taking too long and um i'm trying to remember i think that was the u.s open i think that happened at but uh yeah it, it's it's uh it was a bit ridiculous, um, but we certainly got our money's worth. Um, you know, if you saw that match, uh, five hours and 45 minutes of outstanding tennis between both the players. And uh, it was good to see Murray come out with a win. And uh, I don't know how he does it. Uh, I, I mean, the guy's got a metal hip, for God's sakes. Uh, he's running around. Oh, it's amazing. Like he, he's like, 
he's running around like a 20 year old out there with a, me- I mean, the guy's got a metal hip. I mean, this is a, you have to sort of shake your head and just go, the guy has a metal hip. Like, and he's, <laughs> he's making, I mean, he's running around the court, like he's floating on clouds. It's, it's, it's unreal and really impressive. And uh, you know, that'll, that'll cement uh, Murray. If it wasn't already, that'll definitely cement his legacy as one of the greatest of all time, strictly for the amount of effort that he's putting in. He's not a top 20 player anymore. Uh, could he be possibly, but he's certainly not now. And uh, it's just nice to see him out there and enjoying it and uh, enjoying the sport and being able to do it with a metal hip. <laughs> well, listen, great chat. Uh, <laughs> I had to ask you about that. And uh, yeah. even though I erred in thinking that Sabalenka had already won a Grand Slam, I'm going to ride with you and put a little sprinkle on Rybakina that she stays without a Grand Slam in that final on uh, early Saturday morning, folks, about 2.30 a.m. local time here if you want to check that out. John, thanks so much for doing this. Be well. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm going to the bathroom now if it's okay. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> approved approved all right <laughs> thanks, thanks so guys much. appreciate it there's john horn you can follow him on twitter at sports horn a great friend of the program and now does a great job covering the world of international tennis of course focusing on our canadian stars um all right let's uh we got to get to the cool bet lines uh before we go uh, uh just but remote get in here for a second i just saw leslie mitchnuck ask in the chat about that event last night at a college basketball game where an Uber driver, an Uber Eats driver with an order for somebody in the stadium essentially walked on the court during the game and uh, they had to had to stop it. I haven't seen anything like that, but it did get me thinking. Can you imagine how awesome it would be as if you could just go to sports venues and just uh, fire up Skip the Dishes or uh, whatever your favorite delivery app and get whatever you want delivered to you? Yeah, was that a college basketball game where some I believe so. Uber Eats was it Uber or was it? Did somebody say skip? skip. <laughs> was, was it was it that or I don't know what it was, but um, strange. Did he buy a ticket? Like he's walking on the court. It's got to be a stunt. So many questions. So many. I could. It could have been a PR stunt. How, like how is he getting on the court? You just walking right on the court? Like did someone tra- like e transfer them? Hey, I got you my courtside seat. Uh, come bring me McDonald's. Like you can't bring food into the thing. Like was it a guy food from in the arena? A lot of questions. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It was it was a strange one last night. And uh, and yes, you did hear one of the things that happens on Winnipeg Sports Talk before we go live just mm-hmm. about every day is Remus does a couple of verses at least from the Katy Perry skip the dishes commercial which is number one on your power pole yeah well the Katy Perry I mean we talk about uh Katy Perry what's she doing all she's doing is skip commercial I've I would hear this skip commercial more than any other song she would ever do I want I need a behind the music on this Katy Perry like I need to know how it came together I want the oral history written um I mean this is the number one of my like Talk, well, and, listen and, to song of 2022. Yeah, it's, it's it's on your Spotify list. The number one is the Katy Perry skip ad. Well, I'll tell you what. I've heard it more than any other song out there. Well, you know what? When they, like, think about the production that went into that video. Yes. I mean, like, how many cupcake actors did they have? Like, the dancing, cu- like, there were so many different looks, costume changes. Um, They got some scratch. And skip. they put it into that. They put, I mean, just, I don't know how much it would even cost to get Katy Perry to do a commercial for you like that, but um, they spent the money. So they're getting a lot of play on it right now. And as a loyal 
probably too frequent skip customer, it does often make me fire up the app and see what I want to eat for that night. Yeah. Um, again, like I hear that. Some, I mean, at first I made fun of her for being like, oh, she's doing skip. But again, you would hear you hear more than you hear any other song. Kochi, Kochi so. in chat. I love the Skip song by Katy Perry, uh, Perry too. And Elliot, what's up, Elliot? Wasn't Skip started in Winnipeg? It absolutely is. Um, they still have a, a huge workforce here in Winnipeg. I think it's a good segment. Maybe we'll send this over to the Skip so, people and so, see whether they can uh, get on board with uh, the WST fellas. I think we got to do like an interview with the marketing person. How, okay, how did you? How did this Katy Perry? Because I hear it every Jets game. Like nonstop, and it's stuck in my head all the time. I'm just walking around. Did somebody say? Here you go, Winnipeg Walter in chat. He says margarita with extra cheese on it, right? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? And uh, who knows? Maybe they can get us Katy Perry Katie. on the show. Katy Perry, know. big football fan. I did. I did share an elevator with Katy Perry once in my life at the Super Bowl. In Indy, and she was dressed as a Giants cheerleader, and she had some of the, I believe she called them the Harajuku girls uh, with her, um, and they were going downstairs afterwards, special star access for Katy Perry, and uh, I didn't say a word, I was just like, oh my god. I'm in an elevator with Katy Perry. Uh, all right, let's get to these cool bet lines for today because we got to get this show up so people can listen to it on the podcast before the puck drops tonight. Uh, let's get to the National Hockey League. Pretty busy night in the league as Thursdays have been lately. Jets, minus 177 favorites at home. The Buffalo Sabres, plus 150. And no surprise that the over-under on this one is 6.5 and, and minus 126 to the over because it's the Buffalo Sabres. They score a ton. They give up a ton. Uh, Connor Hellebuck's going to need to have a big game tonight, though, uh, for sure. Uh, if you do like the Jets on the puck line, you can get plus 138. Other matchups tonight. The uh, the heavyweight tilt in the league, Tampa and Boston. I'm actually taking Tampa. I took them on the lock shop today, Reem. Boston has to lose a game or two at some point. And uh, I think you're going to see a very, very motivated Lightning team tonight. That was a straight pick earlier today. Uh, now Boston minus 113, a slight favorite. Tampa at minus 104. Wings minus 159 faves in Montreal. Pittsburgh, Washington going at it. As we mentioned, Washington is only three points up on Buffalo. And Buffalo has three games in hand for that final playoff spot. Um Washington minus 123 at home. I got up against Pittsburgh. The Wild minus 220 favorites at home against Philly. Jersey been a great road team this year. Minus 134 on the road in Nashville against the Predators. St. Louis, they, they need a win. I mean, they're coming off back-to-back -back losses to Buffalo and the Chicago Blackhawks at home. They're on the road. Minus 147 favorites in the Mullet Arena against the Coyotes. Flames, huge favorites at home against the struggling Blackhawks, minus 385. And the Avalanche, minus 402, as they look to extend their winning streak against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, as far as the NFL goes, this has been fascinating. And I know we'll have Hacksaw on, to, on the show tomorrow, and we'll break it all down. I can never remember, Remo, a game as big as this one. Of course, I'm speaking of the AFC Championship game, which has seen such crazy line movement. Uh, over the first few days of the week. This opened up late Sunday after the Bengals won as Chiefs minus one and a half point favorites. 
all the money came in on Cincinnati, thinking about Joe Burrow's 3-0 record against the Chiefs, the worries about Patrick Mahomes' injury. It moved four points to, at one point, Kansas City plus 2.5, Bengals 2.5-point favorites. Well, it looks now like people are kind of back on the Chiefs train, or that Chiefs money is at least showing up right now uh, because while they were underdogs for the better part of the last 48 hours, Chiefs now one and a half point favorites again. And most importantly, the money line, who's going to win this game? Chiefs got as high as plus 113. Uh, now back to being a clear favorite, although not by tons, minus 123 for Kansas City. And Cincinnati getting the value once again at plus 106. Yeah, well, didn't you see Mahomes at the press conference? People saw him walking around. He looked... I'm keeping hearing with Zach Claros. He looked better than Zach did, I think, at the Grey Cup pre stuff. So he did. Seems like he's going to be okay. Uh, well, that's the uh, that's the hopes at least. Oh, man, it's going to be an incredible game. That's the late game on Sunday, and uh, there hasn't really been any line movement in this Philly San Fran game. I don't think we're going to really get off two and a half. Uh, although even money right now on San Francisco plus two and a half, Philly minus one sixteen, minus two and a half. And if you do push it to three, uh, even money on the Eagles at three points and uh, San Fran plus or minus 122 um, if you're uh, getting the full three points. Of course, all the uh, odds up at CoolBet right now. Use the promo code WST on your first deposit. If you haven't played there before, for a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks on your first deposit. But Remo, just before we go, Get on over there into the uh, into the margin because the Royal Rumble odds are out. Oh. And I promised Kabilis and some of the other guys we would check this out. There are two title matches up. Uh, Bianca oh Belair, God. minus 667 <laughs> against Alexa Bliss. And Roman Reigns, a very prohibitive favorite against our guy and Bruce Boudreaux's close personal friend, Kevin Owens. But it's all about the Royal Rumble odds and... Check it out. Cody Rhodes is the favorite at minus 141. Kabilis and all you wrestling fans, let us know what you think of these numbers. Second on the list, The Rock. Two Come to on. one. He's not going to win. Well, is he listen, in? haven't you been paying attention? There's a lot of talk that Rock's going to make uh, a return and go up against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Hey, I've heard about that, but he's going to hang around for three months after winning the... Or- Two, um, no, two months he'll just the Royal win Rumble. it and come back for a few. Of, you know, listen, they don't need him to be a regular on Raw to go uh, go at it against Roman in didn't the his, uh, in the didn't main his, event. Didn't his movie suck? And isn't that why he has to go? Like his movies are starting to go down, and now he's got to go back to wrestling. Is I that... doubt that he has to go back anywhere right now. I'm sure he'll be getting ready for XFL season and oh, some yeah. other things. But uh, listen, The Rock isn't hurting, but I think he loves the sport of professional wrestling and wants to go up against uh, against Roman Reigns. So anyways, The Rock's very interesting because there is rumors. And Remo, read into this what you'd like, but I did notice that the WWE shop just released two new pieces of Rock merchandise that they're pressing. Really? So maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, he might be the guy. The guy I think I'm on is Sami Zayn. And anyone that's paid attention to the WWE in the last month has known that this bloodline storyline or whatever with the Usos and Sammy Uso and Roman Reigns has been one of the best that I've ever seen in my career as a fan of sports entertainment. Um, and there were a few giveaways last week that it could be coming to some sort of, I don't want to say a conclusion, but maybe a next step in it at the Royal Rumble. 
Sammy, with what he's done in this storyline, has become one of the most popular characters in all of WWE. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually won potentially going up against the Tribal Chief. So I don't mind Sammy Zayn. I'll probably throw a little sprinkle on Sammy. Other guys in the in the list, Seth Rollins at 5-1. to one. Stone Cold Steve Austin at 10-1. to one. I, Stone Cold Steve Austin isn't winning and going up against the uh, Roman at the Royal Rumble, although that would be very cool. Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns, and Solo Sokoa at 20-1. to one. Austin Theory, 25-1. to one. But I'm really looking at the top of that list, Remo, and I did correctly pick Edge at 6-1 to one a couple years ago. So I'm hoping to continue my success in the Royal Rumble with the selection of Sammy Uso himself, Sammy Zayn. I can't believe they have how many odds. You can bet on the final four. You can bet on the iron person. That's who stays in the Rumble the longest. Yeah, there are some great ones. Oh, Best. okay. Yeah, they just added all these. I guess there's head-to-heads. Final four is interesting, so that's where you might be able to get some good, uh, you know, a good number on one of the uh, one of the other individuals that might not be winning. Uh, yeah, the Iron Person and Cody Rhodes, of course, is back at minus one forty one is the favorite right now, uh, making his return after that torn peck. And uh, yeah, Cody as the Iron Person is probably a great bet right now. Either he or Sami Zayn will be central figures in that plus one hundred and plus one fifty. Uh, and then you've got some head to heads. Cody Rhodes versus The Field, Gunter versus Braun Strowman, Seth Rollins and Austin Theory, Sammy, head-to-head Royal Rumble bets. This is amazing. We're going to have to touch these tomorrow on the program as well. As far as the women go, Rhea Ripley's a big favorite at minus 164, Becky Lynch 3-1, to one. Charlotte Flair 7, Bailey 8, Raquel Rodriguez 10-1 to is interesting. I think she's the NXT champ, and they often sort of use this opportunity to springboard someone into a main event position. Maybe she's the one. Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Liv Morgan, Sasha Banks, 15 to 1, and Bianca Belair, 20 to 1. Some other options, best finishing position. We've got final fours. We've got the competitor to make the most eliminations as well. That one I might go on Raquel Rodriguez at 2 to 1. All I know is it's very fun to think about all the possibilities and combine our love of sports betting and sports entertainment for one weekend of the year. And that of course is the Royal rumble. Yeah, this is, this is hilarious. This is like the one wrestling event where you can have bets on the Royal rumble just cause there's so many options. Pretty, pretty <laughs> funny. I'm enjoying the, the plus like 125 to win like Stephanie McMahon. I see Lita in here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure you want to spend too much time at the bottom of the options, but uh, they'll take a bet on it if you want. Again, that's all up at Cool Bet. Click on the Royal Rumble. And because SmackDown goes tomorrow night, um, I would suggest if there's something you like, get on it early because a lot of these numbers will be off the board tomorrow and then could look very different uh, come Saturday. Of course, the event is Saturday night, folks. I know we were talking about this earlier. Usually, traditionally, it's always been Sunday shows for the big wrestling pay-per-views, but the Royal Rumble and the Elimination Chamber moved to Saturday as well. So Saturday of this weekend, Royal Rumble into a big day of football. 
Of course, Jets playing Philly at home on Saturday night as well. Uh, all right, great show today. Thanks to uh, John Horn and Eric Swar for jumping on at the end of the program. Um, MJ uh, event should be really neat. Maybe we'll do something with one of the coaches next week heading into it. Uh, but again, all eyes on the Jets and Sabres tonight. Thanks to Joe Yurden and Murata Tesh for jumping on the program a little earlier. Thanks to everyone listening to the podcast. And of course, all of you uh, YouTubers out there, hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. And please, folks, if you're still with us, hit that thumbs up. Let's get it to 200 for the end of the program. Uh, we'll see you tonight at the rink. Going to be up in the 300s. Looking forward to it. And now uh, we'll be looking forward to getting all over it with reaction from the Buffalo game. A look ahead to Philly setting up the AFC and NFC championship games tomorrow with a hacksaw. And then I'm heading to Arrowhead. Folks, enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you tomorrow to take you into the weekend. Marbles as well, of course, on Friday. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you then on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks for being with us. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.